the most mysterious characters and and uh, most hotly debated characters from the Hob in the un upcoming Hobbit films is the character of Bard the Bowman. After all, we know for a fact that he didn't even exist at the time Tolkien started writing the first chapter and only uh, sort of appeared out of thin air for the later chapters when he, uh, as is famously known, slays the, dr the dragon Smaug. But uh, as of last weekend, we saw in the sneak peek footage revealed by Peter Jackson to only people who had a tacky little code that they got from purchasing a, the first of many versions of the Hobbit film that they'll probably have to buy, that uh, Bard seems to be playing a much larger role in the film, which opens up all kinds of avenues for speculation. And of course, that's what we're here for, to provide you with the most uh, informative, or at the very least, the most entertaining speculation. Welcome to another episode. <laughs> of Riddles in the Dark. I'm co-host Dave Kale, and with me, as always, are Trish Lambert and the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson. Let's get started. Okay. All right. Morning. Yeah, so just to, to, uh, to kind of lay briefly the, the sort of the book uh, groundwork for this section, we, we talked about the Elven King's Halls last time and up to the Barrel Escape, and so we want to carry on and look at Lake Town, but I want to specify, when we're looking at Lake Town here, we're not going to be talking about uh, the, the, the destruction of Lake Town and the fight with the dragon. We want to save that to talk about later. Right now, we're really talking about the material, which in the book is Chapter 10, uh, when they, from when they arrive by Barrel at Lake Town through when they depart uh, to go to actually go up to the Lonely Mountain. So that for our first encounter with the people of Lake Town, and as Dave mentioned, Bard is particularly interesting here because Bard didn't exist. When Tolkien wrote Chapter 10, Bard didn't exist as a character. Um, in Tolkien's initial conception, when he was first working through the story at that point, his plan had been for Bilbo to kill the dragon, and he changed his mind later on that Bilbo wasn't going to be the one to kill Smaug, and so he needed another dragon slayer and invented Bard. So Bard doesn't appear until until the later chapter when uh, when uh, Smaug comes down and attacks. So he, he sort of appeared in Tolkien's mind just in time to kill the dragon. That was why he was invented. Um, and this actually brings up an interesting point you know, on the, the, the sort of the continual uh, ongoing discussion uh, you know we have had and interactions that I have had with you know people who are thinking about the films and film adaptation and why don't they stay closer to the books and all of that you know this is a this is an issue that that people can often forget about that much of how things happen um, in a story has a lot to do with sort of the accident of history you know sort of the accident of how the story came about at what point in the evolution of a story in the mind of an author did a particular idea or theme or character emerge another really prominent example of this of course is there you know there are many people who note that Arwen is a a, a character who you know, is very little present in the Lord of the Rings. You know, that's, you know, there's barely any Arwen at all, that she's this absent character, and a lot of people want to read into that, you know, lots of big things about, like, ah, oh, see, you know, Tolkien... Tolkien hates women. Tolkien hates women. See, you can tell, because Arwen is always in the background. Well, <laughs> no, that happened because the whole Arwen and Aragorn plot was devised very late in the day. <laughs> Almost the whole Lord of the Rings story had been written before he invented the character of Arwen. And so he went back and wrote her into several scenes earlier on. We get her in Rivendell, of course, in The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, we get references to her. 
at other points, but they're very few because he'd already written the whole story. But if he had it to do again, had he conceived of the Arwen and Aragorn plot, had had that happened to, uh, you know, had he happened to make that decision, you know, a couple years earlier, who knows how the story might have been different? And so when you're doing, you know, when you ha- so 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 with this, for example, Bard in Lake Town, um, if Tolkien had it to do again. You know, if Tolkien were telling the story, the final story as, you know, with with the, the, the story as, you know, in its final state as it ultimately emerged, if Tolkien had had that version of the story in his mind from the beginning, how would it have been different? And I cannot imagine that Bard, that there would have been no appearance of Bard in chapter 10. Um, you know, that's, that, that's really difficult for me to conceive, actually. Maybe he would have. Um, but it's, it's the kind of situation where when you're doing something like Peter Jackson is doing, when you're doing an adaptation of the story, is it more faithful to have Bard not be there? when they first get there, as he, because he isn't there in the book? Um, or is that actually less faithful to the story that ultimately Tolkien wrote? Um, so it's, 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 it's even, even defi- in some ways, I think, even defining what is sticking close to the book or not sticking close to the book is not quite as simple a question as a lot of people tend to think of it. So I think that... Um, so, so with Bard, Bard is for me one of the, you know, I'm very interested to think about Lake Town and to see, you know, there, there are certainly things that I'm going to be interested to see about how the master is depicted and also how, thinking about our conversations from last time, how the relationship between Lake Town uh, and the Elven King are going to be uh, sort of established and discussed and how those will appear. Um, but to me, the question of Bard in Chapter 10 is, you know, is the, in the Chapter 10 material, I should say, um, is the really big question. And how is that going to fit in? Because that, it, 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 it brings in many complicated questions, both the the question of the development of Thorin and company. We were looking a little bit about Thorin and Bilbo and their relationship and what the Thorin arc is going to be and what the Bilbo arc is going to be in the second film. How is Bard going to fit into that? How is he going to be connecting with them? And ultimately then therefore looking forwards to the siege of the Lonely Mountain and the uh, uncomfortable beginnings of what will become the Battle of Five Armies and the tension between specifically Bard and Thorin, how is that going to be set up in uh, in film two? As I think it, it it has to be set up in film two. So, um, so anyway, these are the these are the our subjects for speculation. But before we get too much further in this, I know we wanted to talk about uh, the recent event that Dave mentioned, the sneak peek, which I will have to confess from the beginning I missed it. Uh, I was not able to see the sneak peek last weekend. I was I was unavailable, um, so I still haven't seen it, and I'm keen for an update. Uh, right. Yeah, I you know, to be honest with you, Corey, apart from a few high points uh like for example, um the the Stephen Colbert's question was was pretty was pretty hilarious. Uh um and uh and then the the little kids asking about Peter Jackson's favorite weapon. Um it, it actually like it, it it wasn't sort of as wasn't necessarily as exciting as you thought. They didn't give away a whole lot. They 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 okay. they teased a few things that opened up some interesting questions. As particularly Lake Town, there seemed to be a significant amount of um, Lake Town footage, uh, mm-hmm. and in particular, it really did open up this idea of um, you know Bard having an expanded role, and it also a lot, some things hinting at maybe kind of a, an exploration of politics in Lake Town. I'm, I, I know Trish wants to talk a little bit about that 
but uh, but yeah, it wasn't didn't blow me away. I didn't come away going, oh my god! It w- it wasn't like the um, it wasn't like the Nazgul four alarm emergency. That's why we didn't do an episode, right. which is which is why we didn't have an emergency episode. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, right. we had yeah. contemplated that, but we came out of it thinking like, eh, I don't think we really need one. Eh, you know, it's, yeah. it's but I, I do have some interesting. I have some interesting vignettes that I could share that maybe All right. might trigger Dave into. Stuff. Let me let me lay some of these on you. Okay. Not not necessarily in order. Maybe in order in the story. So there's one scene that appears to be the company running away from something, someone, and and bursting through the front doors of Bjorn's house, which makes me think that perhaps that might be how they meet Bjorn. Is they're being chased by something. So that was interesting. Yes. Okay. Um, the which, other uh, th- which ends at Bjorn's house. Yeah, I mean, they burst through the front doors of Bjorn. I mean, it, it looks it, – it's hard to say because they, they show them outside with the green screen first, you know, and then they show the scene of them coming through the doors. Now, I suppose one could say, oh, those might have been done separately. It's possible. But it looked to me like it was supposed to be one scene where they're running, 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 running. They burst through the front doors. The whole company as one burst through the front doors of Bjorn's house, which may be how they meet Bjorn in the first place. So that's kind of interesting to me. That is kind of interesting. Yana has an interesting suggestion. Could they be being chased by bees? Bees. <laughs> Somebody else, Kate Niggle, I think, or Sarah Lagarde said the same thing. She's, well, she's actually—they're all actually holding out for the bees, which could be actually. You're right. That seems actually very likely. It could be. That could it be. Could be. Because that would bees, be way more interesting than orcs, frankly. I would. It I would. Because remember the f- size and fierceness of the bees that are that that right. are emphasized by by Bilbo, and uh, having them. Be, I mean, so basically that that's supposed to be a comical moment rather than a dramatic moment. Um, it certainly is difficult to imagine how we're gonna. Uh, having them chased by orcs into Bjorn's house would seem quite Doesn't awkward. Doesn't make sense. No. Um, I mean, I guess we could use it as like a preliminary, like an excuse for a pre- preliminary action sequence, and uh, a preview of Bjorn in bear form ripping goblins apart. I mean, I suppose that's conceivable. No, bees seem. Well, my big bees, question bees was how, would, way more how would the orcs get there so fast? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, they've been flown to the Carrick, which one would hope is a distance from where they left Azog. You know, I, I mean, I remember thinking that it looks like they're, if they're if they're being chased by orcs, how'd the orcs get there so fast? So actually, bees make a heck of a lot more sense from that standpoint. Yeah. And you know, it definitely helps with the introduction of the company to Bjorn. You know, we don't have to go through that whole, uh, two, you know, one by one, two by two thing. Right. Yeah, and I figured that they wouldn't do that. The 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 even though it's it's a really fun part of the book, I think it would be really drawn out on screen. Um, uh, but um. But anyway, you know, I think uh, um, that I, I, I think I think the bees are a likely explanation of that. It seems and, more uh, likely actually, to be a comical moment. Yeah, I'm going to try to remember that for the digest for this episode. Maybe Laura and I will use this as the conundrum for that for this, you know, for uh, at some point. Uh, anyway, yeah. so yeah, so there's that. Okay, and then there's. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, I'm that, sorry. That was a. You're, you're right. There were some good things. I I probably missed some of it because I was trying to post to Facebook and to Twitter while watching. <laughs> And and, and, uh, I, and, I, and a lot of my be a lesson to you, young Kale. And a lot of my attention was a lot of my attention was spent on noticing what awful questions people were asking on Twitter. <laughs> 
I mean, honestly, people were asking was... like people were asking things that were really sort they of. Were. I don't think anyone asked this, but people were asking things that were really pretty much in the ballpark of like, how much fun did you have making the movies? Like, honestly. Oh, I think somebody actually did ask that. God. Question. Yeah. yeah Come on, people. Now let's see. So, um, <laughs> Thranduil. It was interesting. They showed Thranduil, and he's 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 got a real attitude. I mean, this guy yeah. has a real tube. Yeah, he's like lounging on his elk antler throne when Thorne gets shown in. And he, he makes some kind of a sneering remark like, you know, what's Thorne Oakenshield doing? And I forget what he says, but yeah, it's like right. really, he's really, you know, and then there's like this face-off between the two of them, which I notice they look like they're the same height. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to fix that. <laughs> I'm assuming it was a it was a rehearsal because they were like, you know, gaffers in the background. But I'm like, you know, come on, guys. He needs to be taller. And then right. there were several scenes with no dialogue, but just several scenes of Legolas and Thranduil in, in conversation. And so I, I almost think those might have been like teasers for, you know, what's the father-son thing going to be. And, of course, he talked about Tauriel. And one of the things about Tauriel, he said she's a member of the King's Guard. And probably the most interesting scene for me with her was she's she's interrogating an orc. Yes, that was and an getting really, scene. really worked up. I mean, she like loses her temper with them and basically threatens to kill him, kind of thing. And they have to like pull her off. So that was kind of interesting. Yes, Tariel okay. appears to be the Jack Bauer of um, of uh, <laughs> the Wood Elves. <laughs> right. That, that was, was an interesting was scene. It, it was it it brought up the question. I was one, say, it's really a void that needs to be filled. In, I agree. Uh, in the wood elf culture, yeah. Yes. Um. So it brought up the question. <laughs> it brought up the question. One. Where, where, what were orcs doing near there? Like, what's going on there? Like, why were there orcs right. in their realm such that they captured them? Two. Why are they capturing them and interrogating them? Um. And three. What is why is Toriel um uh like why is she why is Legolas having to hold her back to keep her from like torturing this uh hapless orc <laughs> so um we're we're thinking our sort of our kind of off the cuff speculation was that that probably it's Azog's folks that are f- continuing to follow the dwarves and that one of the one of scouts got captured well now though it's also possible okay now here well, a couple other things there this could be i mean if they're capturing and interrogating orcs it seems to me, I mean, it's possible that we have, you know, Azog and his group of we are fixated on pursuing Thorin and company uh, orcs. But, you know, someday we're going to get more about Dol Guldur, right? I mean, we're going to get some right. indication that Sauron has orcs working for him. Sauron surely does have orcs working for him. I mean, that's got to happen sooner or later. And if we're going to get the whole you know, the creeping evil in Mirkwood and what is the source of it and who's doing it and what's going on, that seems to me, from a Wood Elf perspective, who are these orcs following these dwarves seems a less urgent question than what is happening in the forest, who is responsible for this creeping evil and what does it mean? Um, Mm -hmm. So it would not surprise me so far that evil in in the forest has been represented by spiders and bats, um, chiefly spiders, but uh, that orcs shall be involved, are involved, will be involved, um, is is something that seems somewhere between likely and inevitable. So that's my, my one idea about the interrogation, that she 
uh, is trying to solve the what's happening in Mirkwood question. The other thing is uh, I, I would not be at all surprised if we get some kind of like tragic family history for Tori. Yeah. So, right. you know, yep, she may I think be like, that's kind of what I was know, wondering too. Orcs butchered my whole family and so she's like got a she's, you know, going to be uh, She's the Thor and Oaken shield of elves. Yeah, yeah, in terms know, of having so, a short fuse, yeah. Exactly. So she's going to be all now, like uh, yeah, exactly. I just did I just did the digest episode with Lori yesterday for our Mirkwood episode and that was the one where we were the riddle has to do with how are the what's the elves relationship with Mirkwood and you right. know I kind of kept this scene in mind when I was talking to Lori yesterday cuz um you know one of our choices was that the elves are in crisis meaning and and there's a, a you know demarcate you know demarked boundary even if the boundary is the door of the elven king's hall it's still a boundary you know inside which they're okay but outside which they're they're like um patrolling you know and basically at war with with the evil in the forest and so that's what it made me think of when i saw this scene actually right right now let's see um i'm trying to think okay so then when we got to so the so then there was a long uh, there was a long scene that he showed because he was showing the different way, different takes that he did with the scene um to show the different ways that like martin freeman delivered the line and how he chose and how he used the camera and whatnot and this was taking place in a boat we didn't know at first that it was Bard at the helm, but it turns out Bard was at the tiller of this boat. And it's right. It, I think it's right after they come. I, I'm inferring that he's actually found the barrels and has pulled them into his boat. One of the reasons that I'm inferring that is everybody's sitting around looking bedraggled, especially Nori. I mean, his hair, that star hairdo is like completely gone. <laughs> okay. I mean, he looks like a dwarf that's just come out of a barrel. So, right. and then they're on the river and he's apparently taking, you know, I guess the deal is he's probably taking them to Lake Town. Okay. Okay. So that was interesting. It was, it, it was, a, there was a fake out initially, Corey. Um, they spent a lot of time showing us footage from this scene um, to demonstrate sort of their filmmaking process where they, they have, they have Martin Freeman try this line about, um, my parents used to tell me to never leave, you know, never leave the Shire or something like that, or never leave that's home. That's right. In, um, something that we learned from birth. Never go right. east. Yeah, never go east. That's what it was. <laughs> and they had him doing the line with different inflections and different emphases and stuff. And um, the first four or five times they showed the scene, they must have had somebody standing in for, for Bard. Uh, they, like, they just basically had a woman with a Kiwi accent reading the line and... Um, and and so everyone was like, "Wow, who's that? Who's this mysterious female <laughs> character?" Some people insisted it was, uh, um, "No, it's Toriel," and that's just yeah, Evangeline yeah. Lily doing that accent. Wow, what Toriel helped them escape, and she's navigating this boat. And then they showed one that was uh, that was Luke Evans as Bard, and it's like oh, actually Bard. Yeah, oh, it was just, they were just, just it was just a stand-in. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and then um, he talks about Bard, and that's what I said, you know, to, said to you guys before we went live, I said there's some scenes that, you know, uh, Jackson makes a point of saying that he's that Bard is going to be an enigmatic character in the second movie, that you're not sure if he's good or bad, which is kind of, you know, where we're going with our riddle here. And, and we're seeing him uh, as what I thought of as like a Lake Town James Bond, you know, he's like, he's like doing gymnastics across buildings and whatnot and I have no idea you know he looks like it actually looks like the king of thieves almost you know I don't know why he's doing that and then we have um, Stephen Fry is the master of Lake Town there's one scene actually where his servant who apparently is also 
identifiable character has come in and the master is in bed and he says, you know, something like, you know, master, there's dwarves in town. And he goes, dwarves, dwarves, I didn't authorize dwarves to come into Lake Town. And he's all puffy and everything. And then um, they have a couple of other scenes with him, but he's, and they had Stephen Fry, it was a joke. Stephen Fry was a guest video and he just went on and on and on and talked and talked and talked. And so Peter would cut away from him and do something else and say, oh, let's go back to Stephen. And Stephen was still talking and then he cut away. I mean, it was like a joke. <laughs> um but Fry basically said what he said before, which is this guy is, you know, really puffed up in his own conceit and, you know, he basically described a fat and greedy kind of guy. Right. Um, and then other than that, let's see, the, the snow actually came in when uh, the scene where Thorin and the company announced themselves to the to the town of Lake Town, it's, in, it's at night and all of the Lake Town or, you know, a big chunk of the Lake Town residents are in the square and they're staring at them and Thorin says, I am Thorin Oakenshield, you know, I've come to reclaim my homeland and it's actually snowing while it's he's snowing. doing this. Yeah. Yep. Which is kind of really? interesting. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's not ash. <laughs> hopefully yeah, it's what's... snow. Wow. Yeah, is it, yeah, it, is it possible is it possible what we're seeing is it possible what we're seeing is a scene of them of uh Lake Town people standing sort of over on a over on the on the beach uh watching their town burn? No, I don't think so. I mean, they're all standing in the town square and he's announcing their arrival. Ah. Yeah, I think you're right. So it's a scene when Thorin says, "I am here and I am here to reclaim yeah, my homeland." It's snowing. What the heck? Yeah. Snowing. Yeah. Wow. Or, like I said, I mean, maybe ash. You know, maybe maybe we find that there's, uh, you know, frequent ash storms from the mountain. I don't know. I hadn't even thought of that. Well, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think that they would I mean, make snow. Arrow How volcanic. would it snow? Yeah. Well, no. I'm, well, well, I was thinking from the from the dragon. It could um, conceivably. It could conceivably be snow. I mean, seasonally, it's it's supposed to be. Um, it's supposed to be right at the beginning of winter when the door opens so we're getting there but um but it does that is that is a a surprising choice i mean it yeah seems like a small thing but well i mean and it's it's it can't be a very high altitude town i mean it's on a river i don't know right no maybe i don't know harold harold johnson says maybe it's another prophecy discussed you know Look for the unexpected king in a November snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like November snow is impossible, and and uh, latitude-wise, it's for far, you know, it's, I think it's north, fe- feasible, could far be. enough north that one yeah. could imagine a November snow. Um, it's kind of but, an interesting uh, choice if it is snow. You know, yeah, like, no, it is. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking of it, uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, thematically rather than climatically um, right right because that's a that's a that's a fascinating choice um, normally I mean the return of the king seems like a springtime kind of event you know and I know it's not springtime I know it's got to be late fall because of Durin's day and the opening of the door right. and everything so I, but but again thematically speaking to have to go out of your way because it is out of their way to go out of their way to make it snow. Uh, when Thorin returns, is I know. Uh, I wonder what the reasoning is there. Yeah, it's it's it, it would seem. I, mean, I have to see it to see 
what I actually maybe it'll add expected. to the hardship of the trip to the mountain. I don't know. Now, now there are there's was now Dave. I don't know if you remember this. I don't remember this clearly, and it might be I might need to rewatch. I assume it's probably in the the shortened version they've got up online now. But there was a scene of of Bilbo in the dragon's lair. And at some point, he actually goes to put the ring on, and I think Martin Freeman actually kind of makes like a sound effect deal yes. to, sh- to signify him putting the ring on. Yep. Um, but they didn't really have any conversation. There was no conversation. I mean, they didn't have any dialogue, I don't believe. Did they? Um, Dave, who, I don't think they did. They just had him in there. Who, uh, the, the scene I recall where he's doing that where he's like with the ring is he's standing in the, yeah. the treasure room of the Lonely Mountain, Right. right. Right, um, right. He, the only yeah. person on screen was him, so I, I, yeah, I don't think there was any And there was dialogue. no dialogue or anything, yeah. yeah. It, it was, there, I do remember... It was behind-the-scenes footage. It wasn't actually footage from the from the film. Right. And then there was a scene of the of the dwarf standing out on the ledge outside the mountain, and this, yep. like, almost feels like an earthquake, yep. which one would assume that means the dragon is either waking up or has left the mountain or something's going on with the dragon. So where, where that, cause in the book that happens twice, doesn't it? Which the, the, the dragon, like the dragon wakes up and, um, like they're, they're something's happening like in terms of they're out on the ledge and the dragon's having a snip fit. And then the second time is when he actually leaves the mountain itself. Right. Um, Yes. Yeah. I mean, he he uh, he. Yeah. Um, he pursues. Doesn't he kind of like try to pursue? I think it's Bilbo and somebody else. After the... Bilbo steals the cup, right, right, he comes right, right. out enraged the first time and is right. looking all around to try to find uh, where the thief is and doesn't find him. And they're pulling, you know, Bifer and Bomber desperately up with ropes, uh, you know, from the valley. Right. Right. Um, but then it's the second time after the okay. conversation with Smaug. Because the, the conversation is after that. Oh, incident. that's right. It's after. Yeah. Okay. Then after okay. the conversation, he comes and he's like, he, he then sneaks out quietly. The first time he just goes out in a rage. You know, he like, right. he roars with with rage upon discovering the loss of the cup and then goes soaring out and they hear, so he, they hear him the whole way and that's why they're desperately uh, hiding in the mountain and pulling everybody and as much stuff up as they can. And then the dragon is there and, um, uh, but the dragon doesn't bash up the mountainside yet. That's what happens later. Um, right, when right. They, the dragon then goes away and they're like, phew, okay, we escaped. And then Bilbo sneaks back down, talks to him. And after that, um, with uh, more strategy and more calm, uh, Smaug sneaks around to the side of the mountain silently uh, at night while they're all inside the tunnel anyway, which is why he doesn't catch them. Um, and But then he can't see the door because the door is almost closed and it's practically invisible. So And then doesn't Bilbo like, say, oh my god, he just, like, Bilbo suddenly has like a you know, yes, he has one of feeling. his premonitions. Yes, yeah, exactly. Premonition, yes, um, where yeah. he's asking, he so he asks Thorin, please close the door, um, and they do, even though that step seems irrevocable. You know, they don't think that they'll be able to open right. the door again, um, and so they seal themselves in. And as soon as they do, the dragon gives up and starts wailing on the side of the mountain with his tail and uh, bashes that side of the mountain all the pieces and that's when he flies off and goes down. That flies up to Dale, yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, so yeah, so at some point, so one of the scenes was them kind of, it almost looked like an earthquake on the ledge, but they were outside on the ledge. They were not inside the tunnel at that point. So I don't know, you know, we don't know how many times Bilbo's going to go down. That's probably something we want to talk about in a future episode is, you know, yes. what's, what's his interaction with Smaug going to be like. But anyway, so that was there. And I think that was about it. There was a scene of them all covered in, in spider webs. Um, and somebody, I haven't looked yet, but somebody said they wanted to look and count and see if Thorin was among them. We haven't counted mm -hmm. that. We haven't figured that one out yet. And I think there were some others. Oh, well, and then the clip he showed, he showed a clip. He says, I don't have a trailer, but the clip he showed, the clip he showed was basically from last year. I mean, it was the one where Gandalf, this is what's in, this is one thing that's interesting though. Jackson actually explains that it, you know, I think it was in the, uh, White Council meeting in the first movie, you know, where I think it's Gladriel says that the Witch King was buried in the High Fells. Remember, I think we actually talked about that. Well, Gandalf goes to the High Fells, which I find a little mind-boggling. So he goes to the High Fells, and and is you. So you see him creeping around, and we've seen this this um, footage before, you know, creeping around, and then suddenly Radagast appears behind him and scares him, and then they look down into this and is chasm as of, usual. Is confused. What am I doing here? Yeah, and uh, which is kind of strange. You're kind of like, well, what did he just did? He suddenly get like, did Galadriel kind of mind transport him there? I mean, I was like, I don't understand why he'd be confused that he's there. <laughs> yes, it's it's it it remains the one element of the Radagast character in the film that I find difficult to take. Yeah, just because it, it, that is his own confusion, like when he forgets what he was about to say and everything. I mean, you can see Sylvester McCoy just kind of being comical and playing it up, but um, it's one thing to have Radagast be underestimated and misunderstood by people. It's another thing to have him be actually an idiot. Right. Um, right. You know, and... <laughs> And it's and, and, and that part of it that that part of the depiction I feel does kind of stand on its head. That is it's self contradictory. You know, we see Radagast being competent. You know, we see him and that's one of the things that I did like about the depiction of Radagast. You know, we see his um you, you right. know, what, whatever it was that he did exactly with Sebastian the Hedgehog was, you know, like it worked and apparently drove away the spiders. And, you know, so we see him, we see his power there. We see him disarm the, uh, the Witch King, apparently, um, in Dol Guldur. So we actually, you know, we see him accomplishing things. But then to have him be like, oh, like I am so like loopy and absent-minded that I can't yeah. keep track of what I'm saying or where I am at, at any given time. Um that's that's or no or harder. or know that my job is to actually lead the orcs away from the company in yeah. my sled. Or, <laughs> or I've just showed up here at the tomb of the witch king. What am I doing here? And I have no idea right. why. why, I'm here. why you know, why I was I talking to Laura about this. Yeah. I was talking to Laura about this yesterday, and she doesn't feel as strongly as I do. But I actually, the character of Radagast really does bother me. I mean, the extremes that they went to. <laughs> It, it hit me yesterday that actually, wouldn't it have been nice if he'd actually modeled Radagast more along the lines of Tom Bombadil? Now that there still would have been some comedy in there, but he would have been a little bit more of a respect, you know, respectful kind of character if Radagast had been sort of the spirit of the forest that maybe was a melding of him and Tom Bombadil. I don't know. I just it, he just is way too over the top. All right, all right, yeah, all right. Well, we're, we're we're going off on a tangent. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to bring okay. it back. Tangents are good. We got to bring it back. I don't, um, the, listeners, okay. the listeners don't mind. When else one are we going to talk thing. about this? One more thing. Wait, hang on. I'll <laughs> just change it one more step first. That okay. is, I, I still maintain that Tom Bombadil can't be done on screen. Like, I just, I don't think I completely anybody concur. Could, could deliver those lines in any way. That oh, no, no, I, I know that. No, I didn't no, mean, but, like, specifically like Tom, but right. kind of that same sort of nonsensical but it makes sense kind of way that Tom is True. You know? he said nonsensical anyway. things but he wasn't confused right 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 that's, that's, that's what I'm saying like that's mysterious is one thing actually confused like there's a difference between <laughs> bewildering and bewildered yes and yeah. and you know and that I think that's really kind of what I'm getting at is there could have still been a he still could have been the comedy relief but I think it could have been done well anyway anyway so getting back to the thing with the Nazgul tomb so it's really deep and there's all these you know this is this is actually where Gandalf says I think Radagast says who who could have broken a mountain Gandalf says these were not broken these were you know opened from the inside and he doesn't say the witch king of Anmar he says something like this is a nameless evil uh, servant of evil or something like that so it's right, yeah it's a weird little scene actually I think Anyway, so it's supposed to be taking place in the High Fells, which is completely isn't that on the isn't oh, that yeah. on the west side of the Misty Mountains? Oh I mean, no, I mean this was as, as soon as they were having that conversation in Rivendell in film one, I was like, okay, I can foresee the difficulties with geography we're going to have <laughs> because you know there's because they they mentioned Root Hour, didn't they mention Root Hour as where the, he was buried? I I thought I remembered that name coming remember. out. Well, anyway, that, I mean, I the, I'll, have to, I'll have to watch my Blu-ray disc and see. <laughs> anyway, point <laughs> is, I remember thinking, like, okay, so Gandalf is going to get down to the Carrick, and then he's going to like mysteriously transfer. He's going to have to mysteriously transport himself back over the Misty Mountains and get to, uh, yeah. to, to where. So I, th- that I, I've been sort of foreseeing all along, and I, I, I and say, mean, as I magically pretty- transport myself, I'm going to pick up Radagast along the way. But I, you know, he's just going to all of a sudden, you know, just like a Star Trek, you know, Star, he's not going to know. <laughs> exactly. I guess that's how it's going to go down. Anyway, that's going to be a strange, strange little scene. And I think that's about it. I think there may have been a couple of small vignettes, but those are the ones that really stood out for me, I think, the most. Okay. Yeah, they, well, that's uh, interesting. Amazingly didn't give us a ton to work with, which I guess could be good or bad. They, at the very least... At the very least, they didn't really definitively answer any questions, or uh, there, w- there weren't any moments during it where I was like, "Well, there's a whole riddles in the dark yeah. episode gone," yeah, um, no, which no. was nice. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, they didn't. Um, they also didn't. They didn't actually give us a whole lot of new material. Well, I, maybe I, I need to go back and rewatch it, and maybe I'll find that there's actually more than I than I. Oh, and, and by the way, Sharon asked. We 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 uh, we referred to Stephen Colbert's question. Sharon asked what the question was because she hadn't seen it. Stephen Colbert did a video question where his question was, um, are you going to be differentiating the different types of elves? Uh, you know, and then he went through the entire, you know, Sindar, Eldar, you know, Noldor, the Averi and the Teleri, and he pulls up a map and shows, and from when they were born in Quibian and when they awoke in Quibian, and I mean, he goes on and on and on and on, and I'm like, I said, oh, now he's just bragging. And, yeah. Oh, and, and and so Jackson's answer was, I think Jensen's answer was yes. Oh, and that was also the answer when somebody said, "Are we going to see more of the Necromancer?" And Jackson said yes, and that was it. That was the that was the only answer. <laughs> okay. So, 
Yeah. Right, well, neither one of those surprises me. I'm not surprised that they're going to be differentiating, and that was we talked about that some last time. And how are they going to do that? You know, I will still be interested to see what that looks like, and if you know, are they going to in some ways make them? And even thinking about what you were saying about, you know, Toriel sort of frothing at the at the mouth while she, <laughs> you know, wants to to kill orcs, even that fits. And remember, they're, they're you know right, more dangerous right. and less wise is is how they're right. described in the book. Um, so you know, s- depicting the wood elves as less sort of serene. Uh, you know, the, the the serene is 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 very much how the Rivendell elves are, right? You know, we see them all with these placid expressions and uh, you know, kind of gliding about. Um, and to have the wood elves be a little bit feistier um, and quick and more quick-tempered seems right. very seems like a, a, a fine way to try to depict uh, more dangerous and less wise. Yeah, and he did, and he actually had said I think he even said that before the Colbert thing was was he they are differentiating like her she's of the Wood Elf variety versus you know Thranduil and Legolas or Sindar. He yep. doesn't actually say Sindar, but we know. Yeah, they even hinted know. they even hinted at um they hinted at sort of a difference between Tariel and say Legolas and Thranduil. Um Right. It wasn't it wasn't right. clear it wasn't clear whether the 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 root of that difference was in their their different um, uh, race of elves, but more it, it, there there seemed to be an indication that it was more a difference in position. That like Legolas is the prince, Randuil's in, in royalty, and and this was kind of a the common soldier elf, like down on the ground, you know. Uh, so right. that I kind of the impression I got was that that's what he was talking about that that this was more of a that we weren't getting quite so lofty an elf not in terms of uh whether they've seen the the light of valinor but more in terms of what is their position well, in Well now see I, I got see I got something different from that because they even physically look different instead of they don't have they don't have the blonde hair for sure they don't even have Elrond's brown hair it's more of a like a reddish kind of brown you know brown hair and yeah. they all were of this you know they were all this other color of hair—that seems yeah, to be it, the big it, differentiation. It wasn't—it wasn't clear, but but they but they but they specifically used the word position, uh, which is what which uh, kind of what I latched onto. So it'd oh, be okay. interesting to see. I, yeah, I got that. It's talking honestly, specifically about Torhills. His answer, right. honestly, I what I took away from his answer to Colbert was was it was a tongue-in-cheek way of saying, you know, that basically we'll pay lip service to some of these things but we're not really going right. to get into it because uh, you know cuz his 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 little thing with the mugs he did this thing Corey involving the mugs that oh, he received when he right. was on on Steven's show and it basically uh-huh. it kind of it gave me the impression that he was basically saying yeah we're not going to spend our time on uh the trivial matters like that. Yeah, he completely deflected the the uh, you know the question basically yeah. by going through how yeah. undishwasher safe the mug was that he got from right yeah from <laughs> being on Claire's show. Yeah, it was sort of yeah, and he was talking about the difference between two mugs that and holding them up, and it was like clear that there was no difference between the mugs, or that it was you know that it was basically yeah one mug's dishwasher safe and the other one's not, but. But you know the the implication was really basically who cares and can you really right. see a difference between these two mugs? So I, I got the impression that probably not going to spend a lot of screen exposition time on the difference between the elves. Right. Yeah, I, it's probably going to be the same level as the differentiation he made in Lord of the Rings, which was basically not much. Nothing. Yes. 
Yeah, even though the cultural difference is much yeah. larger, that is certainly yeah. the difference between Rivendell and Lothlorien right. is much less than the right. difference yeah. between. Well, I yeah. think I think I, I think in some sense the the answer kind of is yes. You know, will you portray the elves differently in the sense that the elves that will be portrayed in in Thranduil's realm will be different. They're not going to be walking around chanting and they're going to be wearing different clothes and they'll look different and maybe even behave a little differently. But he's not going to he's not going to sit and explain why. So right. for, we're for not going to right, get right, a film exactly. version of that paragraph summary of the Silmarillion yeah. that Tolkien right. does in the right. Hobbit. The, the vast we're not going to hear about the deep elves right. and the light elves yeah. and the sea elves. I think that the vast majority of film goers <laughs> right. probably won't even notice because they'll be focused on the characters and the drama and the action. Uh, some, although it could be, wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, think about all the things that did get included in the, the the lines that did get included in the first movie. Imagine if that paragraph somehow a version of that actually does end up in the movie. That would be. <laughs> Really <laughs> conceivable like, I mean, or an explain, somebody explaining it to Bilbo like like Balin may explain it to Bilbo or something you know what I mean it's like it could happen, it could happen. It happen. <clears throat> anything could happen um, so we'll see anyway let's get to yeah, Lake maybe Town. that'll be our conundrum for this, this episode yeah yeah let's yeah. get to Lake Town let's talk about Lake Town yeah okay so with the arrival in Lake Town as I say to me the 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 two big questions here are how it how this is going to fit into the story of Thorin and Thorin and Bilbo, and how uh, it's going to set up the siege of the mountain uh, and the lead up to the Battle of Five Armies later on. Um, and I think that we can, you know, as far as Thorin is concerned, in the book, chapter 10 is such an important moment. It is such a dramatic change in the depiction of Thorin. Um, Thorin has not really looked very impressive at almost any point in the book up until this point. When he steps um, onto, you know, into the guard room of Lake Town and declares himself for the first time and says, I am Thorin, son of Thrain, son of Thror, king under the mountain, I return. You know, all of a sudden Thorin is operating on a completely different register than he has at any point in the book to that point. I mean, it's a really important thing. And all of a sudden, now, you know, what started off as a treasure hunt and was still referred to as a treasure hunt by Bomber in chapter four, at the end of chapter four, um, what was originally a treasure hunt has now become the return of the king. And, you know, and, and, and all of the songs that we get in Lake Town uh, that they're singing about the, the, you know, the prophecies of the return of the, of the mountain kings, um, you know, all of this stuff is, uh, you know, now really puts the story on a really different footing. Um, now, of course, that footing has been established from the beginning in the films, right? Um, we don't have that shift, which again, I attribute chiefly to the growth of the story in Tolkien's mind uh, as he was writing it. And there's some evidence for this. You know, if you read uh, John Ratliff's History of the Hobbit, you can see he took a long gap. There was about a year-long gap in the composition um, between Chapter 8 and Chapter 9. 
And when he comes back in, the story is different. This is where we also get chapter 10, is where we also get the change in the names. Thorin Oakenshield wasn't called Thorin Oakenshield in the, in the original manuscript. He gets his name here, his new name. And when he gets his new name is also when he seems to get his new identity and this new focus of the story. What started off in Tolkien's mind, it seems, as a you know, as a treasure hunt, as a as a a more simple kind of fairy tale hunt for dragon treasure, you know, quest for dragon treasure becomes uh, a much larger uh, political thing with 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 implications for the whole region and with prophecies. Now we're trying to restore the realm and vanquish evil and return peace and prosperity, not just to the dwarves who have been dispersed and who have lost their home, uh, but to the to the lake men as well. You know that the whole region has suffered. We have the desolation of the dragon, where there used to be thriving kingdoms of dwarves and men um, on the borders of the elven realms. So. You know, uh, uh, the story has much wider implications. Now, in the film, in film one, of course, as we said, those implications have been played out from the beginning. How are we going to get a shift of any kind? How are the lake men going to respond? Are we going to get the jubilant uh, reception of the dwarves? The prophecies are coming true. Are we going to get references to prophecies? You know, are they going to be talking about that? I would think yes. Given that we have the, you know, the omen talk uh, from uh, from what's his mm. name from Ori. Owen. Um, oh, or, no, it's, Owen. It was Owen, Owen, wasn't it? Oh, it, yes, yeah, it Owen. Was, yes. No, you're right. Saying? You're right. Sorry. Yes, Owen, um, the deaf one who talks about prophecies. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Yes, um, you know we we got the you know that we we've got portents and stuff being you know and prophecies that you know when the birds return to the mountain you know the but you know so was, we we've already had those seeds laid down in the in back end back at the very beginning of film one so um, clearly we're going to be going in that direction but are the men of Lake Town going to be participating in it in the same way um, one possibility of course with having Owen being you know coming in and um, and saying all these, you know, uh, talking about omens and portents at the beginning is conceivably to shift the prophetic stuff over just to the dwarves. One, they could be making it a more internal dwarf matter and not have the men of Lake Town see themselves as, as so involved, not have prophetic songs of their own that they're singing. Um, so how is this going to fit in with Thorin's trajectory? Would be my first question. How do you guys see this? Do you see this as a logical step forward? Do you think are there going to be parades in the streets of Lake Town? Are we going to be getting, um, you know, Thorin welcomed home as the returning king? Do you think that, that that's how they're going to play the return to Lake Town? It's it's interesting. One thing, thinking of one of the tidbits, Trish, that you were mentioning uh, from the preview, the fact that the the master of Lake Town hears the news of their arrival while he's in bed um, is itself might seem a small thing, but it actually is an interesting change because, of course, he's at feast when they arrive in the book. And that's, of course, that's right. played for a joke, right? It's one of the dwarves. Who is it? Oh, which of the dwarves is it? I can't remember. Uh, Fiwi, maybe? Um, who says when uh, when the guards say the master is at feast and Fiwi says, all the more reason for taking us to him. Um, uh, <laughs> So, I mean, it's it's it, that's played for humor. But again, the point is that their arrival is a public spectacle. It doesn't happen at night while everybody's in bed. Um, it's not a private thing like they are brought to the master um, 
privately it's they burst in upon a public occasion um right. so it's it's a it's a it's a it's a huge and then, and you know the that way. the the bard thing the fact that bards bring them in on a boat and then you have sort of the master being woken up and saying I didn't authorize any dwarves it seems to it really kind of is hinting at this idea that bard is sneaking the dwarves in in order to kind of mess with the master uh, right. or to to cause some Possibly. chaos and then when we see when we see the shots of bard running around the city and grappling with other human characters and stuff it starts to make you wonder if he's maybe like a pseudo outlaw character who's kind of in opposition to the master um so yeah so that's, like the robin hood of lake town yeah <laughs> that's kind of what i was wondering um <laughs> so, so the master of lake town is like the sheriff of nottingham then i yeah. guess <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's going to be the thing that, you know, Bard's kind of a Robin Hood kind of character. Hmm. Yeah. Because, um, see, you know, it, it would be easy to see how they – it would be even easy to see how, how they might want to shift the relationship between Thorin and the people of Lake Town in general from one of, like, we're holding ticker tape parades to one of having the mainstream reaction to Thorin either be ignorance or opposition or even just uh, uh, – um, Apathy, yeah, you know, sheer like, disinterest, intense. We don't really care. We don't believe in this. But have there be like this subcurrent of there are some people who believe. You know, there's like a minority of people, right? Uh, who, and, in, and, and in particular, who, and in particular, who probably who, if anybody was going to care and believe, who would it be? The descendants of Dale. Right, exactly. So that there's, you know, that that for many people, because I mean, it is one thing that we do see in the book. The master is basically the representative, sort of the spokesperson for this much more worldly perspective, who doesn't care about anything but, you know, his own his the economic gain of the town and his own economic gain therein, um, and who doesn't care about, and who doesn't believe in the prophecies and uh, and and uh, doesn't invest anything in this. Um, now he is a minority, like a sharp minority. In fact, as far as we can see in the book, he's a minority of one um, who doesn't think anything of these prophecies. Everybody else seems to be carried away in them. Um, but uh, but one but could it, easily see in the film you expanding flip that. that. Right, that could be the mainstream. The master's reaction could be the mainstream. That now these people have so moved away. That, and and even remember, there's this hint in the book that there are some people in the town who even doubt the existence of the dragon. Um, you know right, that right. that 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 could be so. That kind of worldly skepticism could be the 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 default in Lake Town, and then have there be only a subculture of people who uh, who believe in the prophecies. Um, now, but see, this is interesting because Bard, when we do finally get Bard, glancing ahead to Bard uh, when we meet him uh, in the Fire and Water chapter, um, we do see that he is not, you know, he's going against the mainstream. Um, everyone else is like, hooray, the king beneath the mountain, and it's Bard who is like, no, this is not what you think. Bard is grim vo is, is the grim-voiced man. That is how he's introduced. So he is kind of swimming against the <laughs> stream always of, a the, downer. Of, of the culture. He is. He's a wet blanket. Um, in fact, the, the, word that, uh, the word that Tolkien first used to describe the voice of the man who eventually who becomes Bard was not grim, but surly. Um, so he's, yeah, he's like a really grumpy wet blanket, basically. Um, 
but again, that his role as a wet blanket um, seems to me important, or at least potentially significant, because again, he's going against the stream of the culture. Now remember, in Lake Town, Bilbo is also. Bilbo is also a wet blanket. It. He he is the only one in chapter ten, other than the master, for though for very different reasons, uh, is the only one who does not get swept away in what is called the general enthusiasm in Lake Town. Um, the dwarves are are all going along with it, and they're walking around like Smaug has already been chopped into small pieces, and the uh, the people are all celebrating like barges of gold are already flowing down from the mountain. Um, the master remains skeptical, or one could even say cynical. And the and Bilbo is depressed, uh, not because he disbelieves or isn't invested or anything like that, but because he is still remembering the yet unconquered dragon uh, who lives in that mountain up there. Um, and that's why he doesn't like the look of the mountain, because he is thinking, he alone, apparently, is thinking of actually having to deal with the dragon. Right. Um, so this going against the culture is, in a sense, kind of a good thing. I mean, Bilbo and later Bard seem to be the only two that are actually grounded in reality. Uh, Bard's grim-voiced warnings are, of course, perfectly accurate. The dragon is indeed coming to destroy their town, and he is the only one who responds appropriately. The people's response is wildly inappropriate. Uh, the master's response is Inappropriate, less wildly so, but still inappropriate in a different direction. Bard is the only one who's grounded in reality, just as Bilbo so is I, the only one who's grounded in reality. You know, is it possible, Corey, like, the more I think about this, the more I foresee a really dramatic change to the dynamics here, where it's mm -hmm. going to be the... Uh, the master being representative of the status quo and and that that basically the reception the dwarves are going to get is going to be similar to the one they received in Rivendell which is can't you right. just leave things alone you're going to stir up the dragon you're going to you know get us in trouble you're a bunch of vagabonds type thing um and that maybe right. the um the 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 that bard is going to decide that the status quo needs to be shaken up and that's why he helps the dwarves in and maybe kind of backs them uh it's interesting that that would be a really huge change it would be and but it seems more of... consistent with what they've done in the film so far it does and frankly the general enthusiasm described in lake town would be hard to show in more than one single scene that is, one can easily imagine an enthusiastic response, right? One could imagine one shot of a ticker tape parade as the dwarves are coming in and everyone is celebrating and enthusiastic. But what Tolkien describes is them living in a state of general enthusiasm for a long time. The dwarves uh, in this house that has been set apart for them and people lining the streets outside waiting to cheer if the dwarves stick so much as a nose out the door. Um, that's going to look pretty silly on screen if you actually tried to put on screen what Tolkien describes. Kind of like Tom Bombadil, as I was describing before, this is sort of a state that's easy to talk about in a book, but hard to represent visually. Um, I mean, how do you get the, like, the people you know, keyed up to this pitch and constantly singing songs without making them look simply frivolous and silly? Um, which I don't think is the effect that they're going to want to go for. Um, so I think even in that practical way, it would be very difficult to actually depict what happens in the book. Um, but if we do that, if that's what happens, if that's what we see in the second film, then it completely changes the dynamics of the Siege of the Lonely Mountain later on. 
because one of the things that is such an important element of that is that when Thorin turns down, when he turns down or turns away from or, uh, or, or turns upon the, the Bard and the people of Lake Town when they come up to the mountain, it's shocking. It's a shocking injustice. It's a shocking ingratitude. Um, Bilbo is obviously thinking when these people who befriended them and helped them and celebrated them and, uh, and sang songs to them, when these people have now lost their homes and come begging to his door, and he turns them away. Bilbo is appalled by this. Um, that clearly they deserve some kind of a of a of a of a good response at the very least a return of the charity and generosity that they were shown um and it doesn't happen so if the people of lake town by contrast don't receive them favorably and don't believe them and are skeptical then all of a sudden now the siege of the lonely mountain becomes thorns not the bad guy anymore right you know now were, our, our, I would think our sympathies would be with Thorin when those when those ungrateful jerks now show up armed at the mountain. They're the bad guys from one end to the other, um, and that would change that uh, part of the story very very much. With, with, does that risk making um, Bard look like kind of a villain almost, or an opportunist? Well, I kind mean, of a rascal. He, he certainly could be that, and I wonder if you know. Uh, um, uh, you know the, what you guys have been saying about how he kind of looks like, you know, like an outlaw or you know something like that. Um, how he kind of has that look, at least um, in the previews. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it certainly is conceivable that he could be depicted not as like, you know, uh, somebody of like towering nobility, but somebody who is kind of a dodgy, you know, shifty character. Um, uh, who therefore could be sort of uh, a wild card when he's approaching the mountain. Like, what will this guy do? You know, how many, at the end of the day, how many scruples does Bard actually have? Because the fact is, he is not exceptionally scrupulous. I mean, we don't see him being very fastidious in his own scruples in the book. Um, you know, remember the debate when Dan and the Dwarves of the Iron Hills show up? Um, and there's that moment when the when the dwarves are starting to charge, and Bard laughs and says, "Well, we have them now. They don't know anything about, you know, about battle above ground. Um, we have spearmen and archers posted on their flanks. Let's attack them while they're vulnerable, and 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 you know, and and, and we can we can easily cut these dwarves to pieces now." And the Elven King makes his benevolent speech, and he's like, "Long shall I tarry ere I begin this war for gold." But the point, the thing that you can notice there, not only is Bard perfectly willing to seize the tactical advantage and destroy Dan and the other dwarves. He has placed those men there on purpose to create this tactical advantage. It didn't happen by accident. Um, you know, maybe you could say, oh, oh no, we just had bowmen up there because, you know, you always want to put the bowmen on high ground so they can see around and stuff. But he posted spearmen up there too. He was ready for this. So uh, so again, even in the book, I don't think that we have much reason to think that Bard is, uh, um, you know, noble and reserved as far as the fighting is concerned. He seems to he seems to really have that on his mind and be um, it, it, he's at least prepared to be ruthless uh, when it comes to it. So, I mean, that could fit in some ways. I think that, that, that with Bard himself, it would make less of a change, but for the the overall like the people of Lake Town, um, 
you know, do we if we see them, if we see the the, the average Lake Town person as unsympathetic, you know, if we see the average Lake Town person as, um, you know, they were they didn't believe in Thor in any way. They rejected him. They didn't help him. Maybe they even want to, because of course, if they are skeptical, if they don't believe, if there isn't any enthusiasm, why aren't they trying to turn him back into the Elven King, um, who is their ally and um, and with whom they clearly are the? I mean, they have an alliance with the, um, you know, they have friendly relations with the Elven King, but it's quite clear in the book that uh, Lake Town is the junior partner in that relationship. You know, they know that they are, are the weaker party um, in that uh, in that alliance there, so they can't afford to get on the bad side of the Elven King or to appear to be doing anything against him. The only reason the Master doesn't turn Thorn and the Dwarves back over to the Elven King because they're his escaped prisoners is that the people, the enthusiasm in the town won't let him do it. Everyone's pumped up about this, so the master goes along with them at the risk of ticking off the Elven King. Um, hmm. so, so maybe so, what we might see is uh, the master actually being more proactive, attempting to turn them o uh, to capture them, and Bard helping them uh, escape to the Lonely Mountain. Yeah, I mean, that would be a complete reversal, right? Instead of Lake Town being the sanctuary where they are, you know, brought in and fed and uh, and praised and prepared for the final stage of their journey, um, if this becomes a, like, they have to be, you know, we have, like, the, you know, like, the Underground Railroad for returning Dwarven Kings as they're <laughs> smuggled through Lake Town uh, and, up to, and up to the Lonely Mountain, that, that's a complete change. Um in Lake Town, I could see it. I could see it happening, um, and I mean, it, it, it creates some interesting stories. But that is a radical change. Um, yeah, that's a radical change. I would be, I would be more, I would more suspect that we would see a divided Lake Town. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't expect a complete. Or, reversal like that where like bard alone is willing to like sneak them out of town and they have to leave you know uh, like with with like men chasing them i i would be surprised to see it go that far i would be surprised to see them do exactly what happens in the book with the universal enthusiasm or almost universal not counting the master um but uh but i could see a middle ground i could see a there are many people who think like the master, but there are at least a very vocal minority who do believe in the return of the king and are enthusiastic about it. And because even that division, even a kind of stalemate in the town, could lead to, um, you know, delay or uh, sort of, um, uh, you know, temporizing on the part of the master. Right. Uh, and at least have his course be unclear, rather than if if everybody in the town is against them, his choice is clear, right? I mean, they are the the, the dwarves are just enemies at that point, uh, since they're the enemies of the Elven King. Interesting. Chandar hmm. Chandar actually, you know, brings up a thing which is that you know that people could start out enthusiastic, but that the master, or for whatever other reason too, you know, he may you know they may get less enthusiastic over time. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, it's certainly true. We're we're sort of we are speaking as if 
the, you know, the populace of Lake Town is static uh, in their views. We could see a shift. Well, and also, the, Jax is going to spend time. I mean, he's not famous for, I mean, spending much time anyplace, really. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I mean, uh, I figure we're going to yeah. see it maybe be a day. We're going to get the impression is going to be like they're going to spend a day in Lake Town, then they're going to be off to, to the mountain. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, being brought in and fed and will be like, uh, hi, we'll, we'll give you lunch before you head off to the mountain. You know, right. uh, <laughs> we'll pack you sandwiches. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, uh, which, which, which would also, by the way, serve to uh, decrease the uh, level of gratitude that the dwarves would, uh, would, you know, could be expected to show um, at that point. But, but no, I, I'm certainly the time is going to be compressed. I mean, it, it, it pretty much has to be. There's no way that he could give an impression on screen of their having been there for weeks, as it seems like they are there for weeks. Um, because remember, even in the chronology of the Hob, even in its 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 the the latest form of its chronology, um, Bilbo says in the Fellowship of the Ring that it was his birthday when they were having their feast at Lake Town. So it's the end of September. Oh right, that's right. Uh, when they arrive in Lake Town, but they don't open the door until the beginning of winter. Um, so it's clearly. Um, quite a bit of time that passes while they're in Lake Town. Hmm. By the way, I promised I would say this at some point. Poor Yana has posted the same thing twice. You know, I'm, I know I've done this with Corey in class, where I'll post something and then he ignores me, <laughs> and then I repost <laughs> it later. So I just got my you know karmic payback here. Um, Yana is completely enamored of the idea of the little girl whose whose doll burns in the first. <laughs> It's the ancestor of Bard. <laughs> I warned him. I warned him that I would probably deliver this in a not a non-believing way. But he just said he can't shake it. So I just want to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That she comes back to be a major character. Um, yeah. Or or she's his great grandmother or great grand right. grandmother or whatever they got. You know, they got smuggled out of Lake Town or Erebor. I'm sorry. You know, that's actually that's actually a question which it didn't. I'm glad that Yana mentioned this twice because uh, <laughs> Yana it, said he did alter it a bit the second time. <laughs> it's a question. It's a question that I hadn't even. I realized I hadn't even considered because, of course, in the book, um, quite a bit of time has elapsed. You know, right. dwarves live a long time, um, so it's been well over a hundred years since the fall of Erebor. Um, in other words, the important thing is no one in Lake Town uh, possibly has lived long enough to remember the attack of the dragon or to remember how things were before Dale. But is that going to be true in the film? Um, Thorin, for one thing, remember that Thorin is young. Thorin is not a white-bearded dwarf in the film. And That's this right. is one of the things we talked about a long time ago. Thorin is supposed to be 200 years old. Well, he's got a little bit more gray in his beard, doesn't he? Well, a little bit, but it's not been 200 years, it doesn't seem. And, uh, you know, anyway, he's not elderly. He's clearly not elderly, whereas he's quite old and the oldest dwarf in the party right. um, in the right. book. So basically my question is, um, and even with, with, uh, with, even with Azog's survival, um, you know, there's this sense of the events of the beginning, told at the beginning of film one, both the um the attack of the dragon and the subsequent um in the book uh the subsequent attack or, or in the book and the film the subsequent um battle of azanul bazar um 
you know that that this is within living memory of lots right. of people. Are we going to get Lake Town people, Lake Town veterans? Are we going to have people? Will we meet the girl whose whose doll burned in the in Dale? Will she still be alive? Um, at, it's that's actually plausible. Yeah, it's very plausible. They, I, Jackson really doesn't address the lifespan of dwarfs, does he, in his movies? No, they don't really talk about that, do they? So there's kind of an implication that they're the same lifespan, maybe as humans. Yeah, or at least he certainly hasn't done enough to differentiate that. I don't right, think. Right. Right. Um, right. And uh, I just it's it, it seems to me, and and then you you know you have how thing you know, the whole, you know, the rule about never invest too much in the passage of time or the crossing of distance in Peter in the Peter Jackson films, <laughs> um, you know, which is always a good rule of thumb to keep in mind. So, you know, it, the idea that that. Um, what is it, 170 years, something like that, would be compressed into 30 years, say. Right, right, um, right. 30 years, if we just, like, if you forget the book for a minute and you just think of film one and you say, like, it's been 30 years since the fall of Erebor, that seems like it would work. Why wouldn't it? Now, Yana and Dan both actually point out that Balin is the one that we see. You know, he has, like, brownish hair at Erebor, and then he's all white when we meet him at the Unexpected Party. But 30 years could still account for that. Right. Though I would counter that with Dwalin. Dwalin we meet with an awesome mohawk in the Battle of Azanulbazar, and he's bald. Uh, in you know, in the in the the present right. day action of the film, but he doesn't look aged. You know, no, he's uh, uh, the only he, thing he's missing is the mohawk. The only thing he's missing is he's so he's lost his hair. Yeah. Um, but but again, so thirty years, I I, I I could still go with thirty years for both of those. I mean, yes, Balin is now older looking. Um, Balin certainly in scene one when the dragon is attacking, you know, and Thorin is hiding behind a pillar with him. Um, does so certainly the difference in the aging of Thorin and Balin is pretty large, but right. see this is a problem that Peter Jackson has created by having Thorin still young and studly rather than right. choosing <laughs> to depict. I mean, and again, this is a choice we talked about way back at the beginning of last year. Um, his choice to cast Richard Armitage and have you know like a a a a, a studly and charismatic Thorin instead of a wise old Thorin. Um, was a huge characterization choice on Peter mm-hmm. Jackson's part. So, I mean, has he created an inconsistency? Maybe. I mean, Bowen, how much different did Bowen look? I mean, he's, his, there's, there's the hair and beard color. Like, it, right. his hair went white. But, you know, that can happen in 30 years. Um, so, you know, I still hold. It's, 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 it's quite possible. Um, now, Nancy Stewart says that she remembers that Bilbo, when Bilbo was writing at the beginning of the Red Book, this is the movie, I believe, giving the history of Erebor, it says 60 years earlier, which also still makes it within living memory. We could still get that. The, we could still get that. Uh, we could still get Yana's, uh, Yana's uh, uh, doll losing girl as an old woman. Um, yeah, she could be uh, she could be Bard's grandmother or great grandmother and yeah. still alive, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yana, you'll be so happy if that happens. Yep. yep. Um <laughs> and, and and maybe she she could be Bard's mom for crying out loud. That's true. That's true. I mean, we just need to be a great grandmother. She couldn't be a great grandmother. Uh, not if we're compressing the time. No, she, that's true. She could be Bard's grandmother. mother. She could be grandmother. She or, could be his or, mother. Or, or. There's no reason she could be his mother. He could be 40. <laughs> that's true. 
That's true. Bart could be no, 40 right. and she could be like could be. 65. Yes. You know. That's right. How old was she in the first film? Three? You know, I mean, seriously. Four? Um, I actually don't remember her as well as Yana does, but um, the image of the doll on fire uh, sticks in my mind, but the picture of the girl who owned the doll does not stick in my mind as clearly, so I don't remember how old she was, but still, I mean, who cares? Even if she was 10, she could, she would still be, uh, she could still be, uh, she could still be now 70, and he could be 40, so yeah, no problem. And she could Bar totally be his And Bard, Bard is Erebor stock, right? I mean, that's true in the book. His descendants were from Erebor, weren't from they? From Dale, yeah, yeah. No, he is yeah. a, he is a direct Dale, yeah. line, uh, a direct descendant of Girion. Um, right, right, right. Which right, right, would right. mean, I guess, that if you know, if the doll girl is his mom, she'd have to be the daughter of Girion, and we're certainly, but we're not given any evidence on that. It's not like we meet Girion in the first film. No, that's true. We don't need to. I mean, he could just um, be, uh, you know, rising from the ranks to take over uh, yeah. because of his bravery or whatever. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, I do suspect. Well, though, you know, actually, though, that's an open question too that we haven't even contemplated here. But I think is worth asking: Is Bard gonna be the heir, or is he just gonna be, you know, a deserving guy on the make? Basically, you know, is he gonna be somebody who earns through his heroism, um, you know, consideration, and is gonna be acclaimed as king, and is gonna become the natural leader by dint of his actions? Or is this, or is he, in fact, going to turn out to be the lost heir of Girion, um, as he is in the book? Hmm. What do you think? Are we going to get the destined uh, mm. thing going on there, I think, Dave? I think, in, I, in my opinion, I think it makes more sense if they keep the, um, the, especially if they're going in this direction of sort of him as kind of the, the, lack for lack of a better term, the Lake Town insurgent. Um, mm -hmm. uh, right. You know that 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 maybe he's kind of a. I, I, my kind of suspicion is that they're going to make him Aragorn-like almost. Um, that he's right. kind of like, a he's like a Strider, a, Strider. Yeah, yeah. yeah. May, maybe slightly more, slightly less honorable. Maybe he's more of a kind of a you know like more of a I, I don't know. Maybe he's a rebel or maybe he well, will actually be honorable. Maybe and not so lofty. But I get the impression that we're going to get a guy who who. Um, you know, I, I don't know the Bard in the book since we get so little of him. We don't know right up until the end when he shows up at the Lonely Mountain says, you know, oh, yeah, I'm the king of Dale, by the way, um, uh, right. with with the army. We don't know much about it. I wonder if what we're going to get is kind of a more Aragorn-esque story of, of him sort of knowing his, knowing his his identity and his and his destiny and thinking that. That, that that he should be trying to do something toward it and seeing with the arrival of the dwarves his opportunity to his try, opportunity. And, try and make right. it happen. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, I, one thing I would say is a major difference and one thing which would seem to be in support of your idea of him being, in some sense, less honorable than Aragorn. Aragorn, as Strider the Ranger, mm -hmm. is not serving under an unjust ruler. You know, there is no... There is no regime that he has to operate under and oppose, whereas arguably that could be the case. I mean, if the master of Lake Town um, is going to be basically the head of a the head of a of a of a bad regime of one kind or another, mm -hmm. um, then it would make sense for Bard to be more insurgent. I mean, there was no one for Aragorn to be insurgent against. There was no king. 
you know, right. um, and there's no king here, but there is the master. And if Bard is sitting here thinking, I am the lawful king, I should be ruling here, but nobody cares and nobody's paying attention anymore, um, and I have to put up with this, with this corrupt, uh, self-aggrandizing and greedy master, uh, when I know that I am the rightful heir, that certainly creates a very different dynamic from the Strider dynamic. Right. I, maybe we'll even get kind of an arc with him where initially he's kind of just sort of this this kind of outcast, even outlaw character who's just basically disgruntled and given up hope. And then the arrival of the dwarves inspires him to, to try and um, uh, to, to seize his destiny, but maybe he's, he comes off initially as an opportunist. With the attack of the dragon, he, he is his chance to kind of redeem himself and become a hero in protecting the town, and that's where he proves himself. Or, right, or maybe the change there is not in his attitude exactly, mm -hmm. but in the attitude of everybody else to him, so that nobody takes him seriously. Right. Um, but then when he kills the dragon, now all of a sudden everybody's like... We love Bard, you know, up yeah. the Bowman, <laughs> you know, down with money bags. Right. Um, viva, viva la Bowman. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, so that could be sort of the shift, you know, the shift from him being insurgent to being leader, basically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. No, I mean, I think that I think that that would be so. So then, thinking about story possibilities, um, his being the heir. Um, and knowing that he is the heir does seem to lead to more interesting story possibilities than the removal of that dynamic. Again, right. I think I think that there is the opportunity for Peter Jackson to just eliminate the whole line of Gyrian element from the story. Gyrian, was there a reference to Gyrian? Did anybody <laughs> talk about Gyrian? No. Um, the King of Dale. I mean that that's that wasn't that was not there uh, at all. Um, in in the first film, so it is certainly conceivable that that element is just going to be completely removed, and the issue is not going to be who is rightful king in Dale, but rather who's going to be running things in Lake Town. Right. Um, and that the restoration of Dale will come as a consequence of the destruction of Lake Town. You know that ultimately we're going to have Bard being like, "Hey, uh, let's go back. Now that the dragon's dead, let's go back up to Dale and rebuild that city." Um, Rather than just trying to rebuild Lake Town, I don't know, right. but uh, but anyway, I do think I agree. Certainly, to my to my taste, uh, the the retention of the of, of the Bard as lost heir to the kingship um, thread does open up some well, and one thing, some serious possibilities. One thing I I wonder too, as we think about this, um, I wonder if maybe maybe. So, so Bard in the book, not only do we not get to know him very much, but he also, like, on the whole, he's pretty blameless there at the end. You know, it's kind of, when you look at sort of the cast of characters who are involved in the almost tragedy, the, the dwarves really come off as, like, the bad guys, right? Um, right. Thorin is, Thorin, Thorin in particular, though, again, we can't, they're not perfect. Like, the Elven King has brought an army uh, on a profiteering mission to the mountain, right? He has seemed to come armed, lest he need to beat off other profiteers. So, right. you know, uh, the the Elven King and his army are not innocent as the wind-driven snow when they're at the Lonely Mountain. No, Bard, 
No, you're Bard less so. You're right, but but he just just in terms of like the reading experience, I think uh, at least for right. me, you read it and you're like, yeah, the the it, it, Thorin's making some pretty good points. Um, uh, when he's when he's saying like, you know, if you guys really were were just kind of wanting seeking redress for for you know uh for for tragedy suffered, um, you could have just asked. You didn't have to show up with an army. Um. Like, right. you're like, yeah, it's a pretty good point. But just like his whole demeanor, he really comes across as like these dwarves are really being unreasonable. And yeah, the the elves and the men are kind of, you know, they're not really necessarily they're not blameless, but they're they're I mean, it's kind of understandable. And probably a resolution could have been found if Thorne had been more reasonable. I wonder if what we're going to get is um, a slightly even more nuanced picture where where they're really going to play up the the mixed or possibly not entirely um, altruistic intentions of um, of the men and the elves. You know, already there seem to be seeds laying of Thranduil being kind of a jerk. And I wonder if, 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 if Bard is going to be portrayed as kind of a rascal and an outlaw and maybe even an opportunist who's just been looking for his opportunity to, to, um, to either to restore Dale or to promote himself. I wonder if, if Bard is going to come off as slightly more opportunistic and and um, with with you know not nearly as sort of pure as the driven snow as he he may kind of appear in the book so that so that at that moment when the uh, men and the elves are are encircling the mountain that bard's really going to look kind of like a jerk a little bit right because that's sort of the next level of opportunism right yep. having having uh, basically managed to seize control because he's leading the army right and that's kind of a big deal um so he's he he has already capitalized on his opportunity if, if you could call a dragon attacking your town an opportunity that's right. um <laughs> he has taken advantage of that opportunity given by slaying the dragon and then by his performance afterwards um, and that's going to be a fascinating scene. The uh, bard emerging from the lake um, uh, and being acclaimed by the people, I think, is going to... I'm, I'm looking forward to that scene. But anyway, he, he has taken the opportunity to make himself a leader, clearly, as he's in charge of the army. Um, so if that's going to happen, yeah, then, Dave, as you say... The okay, now I've got an army, and there's a big treasure right here, and all that lies between me and that treasure, uh, and the next logical step in my path towards uh, world domination, is these dwarves whom I was helping before. You know now, uh, how checkered are going to be his motives? You know, or how at least uncertain are going to be his motives. Um, how can how much conflict are we going to see there? At the very least, I would say that about Bard um, in the book is that he does not he is not conflicted. Um, he I mean he does strike me as kind of ruthless, and um, uh, definitely his willingness or even his his the the quickness with which he dis dismisses the dwarves and. Um, uh, that is dismisses Thorin as a fool, and uh, and is ready to, to fight against them. Um, does sort of make him at least sort of potentially a more kind of negative character. Um, th that is again not not a pure character at all. 
However, again, I, I do think that that element could end up, be, if he is that kind of rascally character, I, I, I like that, that that word really captures what I've been sort of thinking about him um, based on your descriptions. If he, if he is a rascally character, um, it creates an, a really interesting conflict for him. Now what's he going to do? Now is he going to do the right thing, or is he, is he going to take advantage of this opportunity? Um, or is he going to uh, is he going to respect Thorin? You know, because now now the choice is entirely different. So I think that that, that could be a really interesting, uh, a really interesting moment. Um, yeah. Well, we should probably actually introduce the riddle cause, because I'm I'm finding myself wanting to go on and talk about yeah, we're heading in some that direction. of the things related to the riddle. Yeah, we're already what, kind of almost there. What, what, one of the things I wanted to bring up, and I, I this may have been a leak from movie three, but we have seen a photo of Bard and Legolas chit-chatting. Legolas actually has his quiver of arrows on his back, and I think his bone is in when they're talking. I I don't know if, I mean, to me it makes sense that that would be a Battle of Army shot, but right. anyway, it's it's definitely circulated, so I don't, I can't imagine anything in this, in the second movie where the two of them would be together, so hopefully it's going to be a... Did you want to show up, show any of the Bard photos that uh, Dave yeah, sent over? Yeah, okay. yeah, let's, 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 let's look at the... the our rascally bard figure. So here's some screen captures uh, from the sneak preview. Um, so here's Bard. Look at that rascal. Oh, I see what you mean about the trench coat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's he looks much scruffier than I expected. Um, I have to admit. I, I I sort of assumed he would be sort of part of the city guard and possibly even in uniform. Like uniform, uh, yeah. But uh, um, but that's oh, he definitely looks, dis- he looks a bit like a he looks like he might be kind of a loner um, on his own uh, outlaw type, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, um, yeah, a more like like a Nordic Robin Hood here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get uh, now here he's looking rather Orlando Bloomish, and that's the um, snow slash ash. Scene. Yeah, no, I think yes, this got to be. So this is this is Thor, Thorn's arrival scene. Yeah, I'm assuming so. Yeah, I'm assuming that it is. That seems to be that that's the right look of the of the background and stuff. So one assumes he's listening to uh, Thorin do his declaration. He looks so young. See, I mean this this shot says to me like young impressionable onlooker um, pondering what to do. I mean this does not look like cynical opportunist weighing his uh, his his options here. Mm-hmm. Um, that certainly doesn't seem to be what they're going for here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, of course, it's always hard to draw too many conclusions just from, from a still, uh, stills. Yeah. But um, nice helmet! Look at that helmet. Yeah, I, whoever gets to wear this <laughs> is having a good day. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it's interesting, even seeing the people like this guy. So yeah. if this is a guard. We do have some clearly quite elaborate uniforms. Um, this guy is clearly wearing the same uniform, same Looks armor. Looks like they're holding, I assume, over spears. Here this guy. Yeah. Um, so what are these guards? Oh, they looks like they're guards. Are they ringing? I wonder if they're standing right. in a ring. Because presumably this guy is a guard. Yeah, you can see his shoulder piece here. So we've got this line or ring of four guards with Bart and, and, and townspeople looking behind, from behind. Well, the and guards. then we got the guy with the hat. I mean, are they circling Bard? I don't know. It 
course, you can't rule out the idea that the other guards are wearing this awesome hat, too. Exactly, um, yeah, because it looks like that guard's holding a spear. It's a sufficiently awesome hat that one would almost hope it would be the <laughs> uniform hat of the guards of Lake Town. Um, though, actually, one could also say one can't and, imagine... And you could use it to bail your boat at the same time. <laughs> right, and it's nice and furry, so it's warm as well as fashionable. Um, For those unseasonable uh, Lake Town snows. That's yes, right. yes, you got to be prepared. That's why. Well, we are all wearing fur. I mean, it, it definitely has a, the, you know, a, as I said, a sort of a Nordic feel. Um, yeah, Kate says it looks vaguely Hunnish. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Jason, actually, Jason That's said a... he thought it was. A... <laughs> Jason said he thought that the helmet was a faucet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it does serve as a fountain as well. That would be very practical. <laughs> Dave, you're gonna have to email these shots to me so I can put them up on the site. So when people are listening to this, they're not like, oh, "We well, don't know what you're laughing at." Yeah, yeah. what are you guys okay. talking about? Well, that's that's um. That's excellent. Okay, so, um, but yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't. It doesn't look like he's under arrest, but it does look like there's kind of a guard cordon Circle here with the people him, yeah. behind and him on the inside. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. That's, and and whoever this dude is, um, we could hope that that was Stephen Fry in that hat. That would be kind of awesome, actually. But I oh, I'm th- I'm betting it's I'm betting it's just one of the other guards. I'm betting that is actually the uniform. That is the guard hat. Oh. Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah. Dare to dream. Dare to dream. Yeah, we're going to see a whole phalanx of these hats. I'll bet you. Oh, I can't. <laughs> but of course, at the same time, you could also say like only a uniform requirement could possibly impel somebody to wear a hat like that. So, <laughs> you know, true. maybe that's 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 really the best explanation. <sighs> okay, we get uh, Bard in an action shot here, running across. A walkway, presumably not the bridge to the mainland, which hopefully they're prudent enough to destroy. Um, but I am assuming from the light in the background that this is this is Lake Town on fire that he is running through. Um, though he doesn't seem to be carrying his bow. Mm-mm. It is really hard to tell because um, we have seen all these scenes of him running through Lake Town, um, jumping, climbing, z- almost ziplining. Um Right. I am I'm I'm sort of reminded sort of against my will when I look at him of uh Pirates of the Caribbean by the way. I don't know why. Um <laughs> yeah, well I he he looks to me like Orlando Bloom. He I mean, really I just, does. That's what I keep doing. He does, so doesn't he? Like I know. He, does. he looks like Orlando Bloom but not Orlando Bloom playing Legolas. He looks like Orlando Bloom other times. Yes, um, exactly. Right. That's what makes me think of Pirates. I mean that that's what makes me think of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. But uh, it's just... oh my gosh, yes, Kate. Okay, Kate's Onion Dome. Sharon says Kate's got the answer. The old woman will bring Bart a bow and a special arrow, telling him who he is for the first time. <laughs> you know, I was going to suggest that, but then I was like, they're going to laugh at me if I say that. That's true. <laughs> That's true. What if he doesn't know who he is? Yes. Yes. Exactly. This is your um, moment, my son. That is exactly the sort of cheesy, uh, cheesy moment that I had in mind. When I was thinking of uh, of the you know Yana's uh, Yana's doll girl, um, you know that she's going to come back and be like, and now I shall reveal to you and like give him his bow or something like that. Um, right, right, and uh, this black-tipped arrow. Interesting. Um, go to the next one. Go to the next one. That looks like the zip line, doesn't it? Okay, let's see. Right, so I'll go to the I'll go, I'll go to the next one here. Um, uh, 
No, I didn't. I didn't manage to get him oh, zipping no? in on oh, okay. the, the line. I oh, could, oh yeah, no, microphone. Every time microphone, I tried to take okay. a every time I tried to take a screenshot of him on the little the little like the little thing where he drops in on the rope, basically you just got like mm -hmm. this blur, so it oh. didn't work. Okay, so this is him out with his bow. So we can see though it's it differs from the first. We can see how raggedy the bottom of his cloak is. So this is clearly. I mean, he's even scruffier than he looks here. <laughs> uh, so that's though. I, I wonder about this shot. Um, that is. How what's much he, of what's this... he trying to shoot his? I wonder if this is. Well, I'm just wondering, wondering where he is. Why is he on a rock surrounded by trees? Uh, I, I mean, we never see Bard in the book, of course, outside of either Lake Town or the shores of Lake Town immediately after the destruction, or marching on the lonely mountain. Um, uh, and once he's marching on the Lonely Mountain, if he's actually the general of the army, you certainly wouldn't think he would still be wearing that coat. No, um, I I think he's doing some Katniss style like bird hunting with the bow. Yeah, yeah, it looks that way. Um, but I, so I guess this could be a, a like background sh that is like a, you know getting to know Bard prior to the arrival. We might get some shots of him. Um, oh, that's you know, true. Not just meet him yeah. for the first time. Kate said and the that. Dwarves yeah. show up. Perhaps this is where he first Kate sees the that. dwarves um, uh, floating down the, the river. The barrels. Yeah. And prepares to open fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen. Completely off track subject here. I did want to just insert one little thing about another another little clip from the from the thingy, is that we did still see an old guy attacking Gandalf that was not Radagast. So this whole Thryan thing is still up in the air. And I tried to get a clip of it, but I, I, Dave reminded me when he said he could only get a blur. I could only get a blur of it. So yeah. anyway, that's, so that's he actually They actually showed a shot of, of Very Gandalf, quick. Gandalf meeting crazy hermit Thryan who's still alive and living in the woods this whole time. Well, we saw, <laughs> we saw, a, shot of, we saw a shot of Gandalf fighting with a crazy old man again, a skinny crazy old man. Did, Corey's that's just proving. pumping his, the answer he picked. Yes. That my immensely unlikely prediction is almost certainly correct. <laughs> well, I'm gratified to hear that. Not surprised, but gratified to hear that. I, you know, uh, at this point, like, God, Gandalf is apparently going to be so he's traveling with the dwarves. He's uh, going to be at um, uh, he's going to be at uh, Bjorn's house. He's going to take them to Mirkwood. Then he's going to go back to the the tombs in the Nazgul. To then he's going to be at yeah, Goldor. Then he's Boy. probably got an errand he has to run in Herod before he comes back. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, he's got to uh, find those other two blue wizards. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's got to make yeah, a... he's gonna go out and commune with the blue wizards out in the he's far make east. A quick, and then he's going to make a quick trip to Danathor's library in Minas Tirith. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Stop yeah, by Ars and say hi to Saruman. Yeah, stop by Isengard, uh, spend five years in the Shire really quick. <laughs> God. Yeah, no, I think I think Gandalf's itinerary is likely to be a bit hectic. Yeah. Um, okay, last screenshot, last screenshot, okay, last, last screenshot. One, I keep pointing last. and clicking Thank at it. Thank goodness they have the me. rabbits of Ross Goble. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is him. Oh, so this leaping, is one of his action shots, right? Leaping, yeah. Apparently, yeah. So yeah. this is th though it's nice to get a little bit closer shot of of Lake Town. We can sort of see it from the side. Uh, uh, up here. What are those things hanging there? Are those spears? Those look like spears. Are, is it drying fish? I'm maybe? thinking it's fishing, oh, maybe. fishing equipment of oh, some fishing kind. Oh, fishing gear. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The that's basket. So, so here's the thing about all these scenes we've seen of him running through. It's kind of like the uh, kind of the 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 I don't know what I would call it. The purest mind would go immediately to, well, when would when would Bard be running through the city in an action shot? Probably when it's on fire. So this is probably from smog attacking. Uh, and that's possible, and and even the fact that we can't see any real fire in any of these shots doesn't mean anything, because more than likely the fire is going to be mostly CGI. But one possibility I I'd kind of imagined is, what if this is kind of introduction to Bard, like outcast, outlaw, orphan, whatever Bard, like running from the authorities yet again, and it's and it's narrowly like the escaping, of Aladdin. like Aladdin. Yes, <laughs> he's going to be singing a song. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I'm tracking with you now. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we get him like, uh, yeah, on the run here. Okay. That, yeah. That, yep. Oh, and well, the and the the guards will report back to to the master of Lake Town. Oh, I escaped again. Direct. That's right. That bard. We'll get him one of these days. <laughs> and then everything changes when he's the one who kills the dragon. Yep. Okay. Well, see, I would say this does, just because of the lighting, I mean, it looks like we're in darkness here, so it looks like a nighttime shot, and it, and the, I mean, certainly the backlight with this yellow light and the fact that we're seeing the yellow light over here, too, suggests to me that, that this is a, this is actually a Lake Town on Fire scene. This does not look like a Lake Town on Fire scene. It looks like daylight all around. Um, yeah. And, uh, and not, certainly not firelight. So, um, so yeah, no, that that seems to me plausible, and especially if you're, um, you know, you were describing him in some of those preview shots, like, you know, James bonding up over rooftops and into windows and things, um, that one, it's hard to imagine exactly how that would be happening. And one could imagine him on a rooftop during the dragon fight, but um, uh, but not sneaking around and crawling in through windows. Well, I mean, actually, you know what? Not so. Maybe not so much. Um, maybe not so much. Uh, Robin Hood as Zorro. Zorro did a lot of sneaking <laughs> around, you know. And the Alcalde was the bad guy. Yeah, uh, it's true. You know, Lake Town Master kind of guy. It's true. Well, you know, when you remove Robin Hood from the forest, you know, it, it's uh, it's uh, it does change things quite a bit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well. Um, well, let's uh, let's introduce the riddle then. The okay. riddle is basically about Bard's relationship with the company, uh, and again, this is all in the chapter ten equivalent. You know, in the in their in their time in their their visit to Lake Town prior to going to the Lonely Mountain. Um, so our question was, uh, and we're gonna we're we. we we normally, of course, have four choices, but we thought today we had to do five because we had to introduce a separate choice to be our traditional book answer. Um, so the question is, what will Bard's relationship be with the peop- with uh, Thorin and company, uh, with Thorin, Bilbo, and company um, while they are in Lake Town? And option A, book answer as always, is Bard will be completely uninvolved in that and will have a cameo appearance, if anything. That's the book answer. Bard didn't exist in chapter ten, um, so uh, so that's the book answer. After all of these screenshots, it seems a little bit difficult to believe that Bard is not going to be making much of an appearance at all. But anyway, that's the book answer. So by golly, we're going to have an option for that. Um, option B: 
is he uh, he supports the he is he he is friendly to the company. He helps them and supports Thorin and company, and does so openly. So he is he is he is an open defender. So like you know they come into town and the master is criticizing them or whatever, or saying he won't help them, and Bard speaks up on their behalf. So we have him openly, publicly, um, with the full knowledge of of Thorin the dwarves and everybody else. Um, he is their open helper and supporter while they are in town. Option C is he is their supporter but in secret. So he doesn't speak out for them publicly. Nobody else knows. So this is, uh, you know, he is helping them but totally on the sly and in secret. Option D is he is their opponent. He does not support them. Um, he, uh, he, is, he is critical of them and trying to thwart them openly. And then E is he is their opponent, but he is their opponent in secret. He is working against them um, uh, 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 secretly. So, those are our five options. Again, option A. Now, uh, Sharon was just saying we need an undecided bard option. Ah, uh, no, no. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be like, and option F is Bard is totally ambivalent and unable to commit. I mean, I could definitely see, you know, a Bard who's kind of internally torn about these things, but, um, but I think, you know, like at the end of the day, I, I really think it's more likely that he's going to either help them or not help them. I mean, even by omission, he's going to be helping them or either he's going to be a help to them or he's not going to be a help to them. Um, so if he basically can't figure out what to do, can't hasn't really decided, is still on the fence as far as his own identity and his own loyalties, and does nothing, then, you know, that to me excludes the options B and C. So we could add then, I guess, if you want, rather than saying he's either their supporter or their enemy, we could add that like he is he supports them or he doesn't support them. So we would put ambivalence into the uh, C and or into the D and E categories. Oh, okay. So he's either ambivalent or openly opposes them. Well, I don't think we have to spell it out. I think we either he either supports them or he doesn't support them. Or, or like you had said before, we let the judges do their thing when the time comes. Yeah, yeah, we can. But we're not not adding a option A uh, or option E book answer. He doesn't do anything. No, that's, oh yeah, that's no, we added eight. that. That's A. That's a. So oh, we've yeah. already got A, A, B, C, D, E. So you know, that's if right. we added ambivalent, it would be F. No, I don't think we need ambivalent. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. What, uh, Kate asks, uh, "What if the support is only a verbal good luck, you fools?" <laughs> it's not support. <laughs> um, well, I think it depends on where the emphasis is. Is. You know, if the emphasis is on good luck, then yeah. If it's on you fools, then no. <laughs> um, I mean, if he's actually like mocking them, uh, and uh, yeah. So I mean, basically, if if his response is like, you know, here I am, like I am, I am the rascal, you know, uh, street rat Aladdin of Lake Town, and uh, I see these dwarves going off to the mountain, and I'm like, well, they're a bunch of idiots. Um, for wanting to do this. This is a crazy thing. Let them go and do that. And then it's not until the dragon attacks that suddenly his latent heroism comes out and he finds himself becoming a hero and then to his surprise a leader and all of a sudden he's grown and changed. If that's what happens, 
then it's no support. Then the answer is either either D or E, depending on. I, oh, see, and I would call that A. I would say he has no involvement. If he's like, well, no, eh, the question A is I not no care. involvement. A is no presence. Oh, no presence. Oh, I put no involvement. Yeah, he has to be like. Oh not, well, I have. Well, what well, if we know he's going to be in it? Um, so I said only a cameo role. Su- suppose, right? Su- right. Yeah, su- right. Exactly. Suppose we see him, but he doesn't interact with the dwarves at all. He's that 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 maybe in this film he's a background character, and he. So really we know he does at least totally in the separate. Well, we know he does at least in the boat. Uh oh yeah we right well that's true but suppose he doesn't do anything beyond that I'm just imagining suppose they really want to maybe they want to really play up this idea of of this like sort of nobody so let's say they go the, the route of the the old woman coming giving the bow and arrow and saying you know you're the descendant of Garion and it's your <laughs> your destiny to slay the dragon and 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 restore the kingdom of Dale and all that kind of stuff and so take suppose, vengeance for my dolly right <laughs> yeah. Suppose um suppose they I want to, to you the vengeance. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go I ahead. think that yeah. should be the name of the episode by the way. Vengeance for Dolly. Vengeance for my vengeance Dolly. For Dolly. Um, <laughs> so suppose they really want to play up this this thing about like he's kind of just sort of this outcast nobody in town and so he really doesn't do maybe yeah, he he finds the dwarves and he brings them on boat into the town. Um, but maybe he doesn't really have much to do with them after that and and very little to do with their their reception in town or their or their leaving to go to the lonely mountain um you could argue that that's kind of a uh, a version of the book answer where he may he's in there and he's playing a role but he's not actively supporting or opposing or really playing any role in 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 the dwarves quest or reception at this point well okay i i would be willing to say that if if his story is kept for, so that basically it's a book answer in the sense that it is kind of showing us what was happening behind the scenes mm-hmm. in the book. You know, like it's not altering the story from the book story. Right. But it's telling because presumably Bard was there, in fact, when yeah. the dwarves arrived. Uh and he does have a backstory and presumably also a personality, but we don't get to know it in book ten. We never meet him and it never becomes relevant until all of a sudden he is thrust into the center of the action when the dragon attacks. Exactly. So if the film does follow that that role and not have him involved in the central story um, in any significant way other than perhaps apparently being the guy who steers the boat to take them back into town, which could be his only contact with them. Sure. I'd be willing to, to say that that yeah. could be, and we would have to see, you know, in the end what the judges thought about it, but um, yeah, I think we, a, I think we could leave, yeah. we could leave, leave the, the, the judgment to the judges, but it, it would be yeah. kind of a book answer in the sense that, his reception at the mountain. So I, I see kind of them going, laying out his storyline in one of two ways. One would be the reception at the mountain when he shows up at the army is, you know, we thought you were our friend. You've been helping us all along. I guess there's three, we, you know, we right. thought you, we, you, you, you got us on the boat and you helped us escape. You know, what are you doing? And, and betrayal sort of in the, in the same, right. having right. the same reaction to him that they do to Bilbo. Or maybe there's, right. you know, oh, there's that bard guy again. He's never been, he's never, he's always right. been against us. Or the, or the third one is, who are you? Which is kind right. of the book answer, right? right? Like who's, oh wait, weren't you on the boat? Yeah, like, what was your name again? <laughs> right. What was it again? It was uh, Brand. It was uh, Bill. It was a uh, Bard. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. No, exactly. No, and I think that one could see either any any of those three versions of the story playing out interestingly. Um, I mean, I think that there's definitely potential uh, there on any one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, I would... I disbelieve in the separate story. I think he's going to be integrated. I, I, I don't I believe do that he's going to be separate. Sorry, Mark Fisher. I think he is too. Yeah, no, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going A. That I'm. That I, I think that they're. I gonna... think it's too 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 tempting for for Jackson not to have his, not to have there be a story behind Bard. Well, I mean, they, the they could give him a story. I mean, they could again if we're going to include the we learn his story, but separate from the action and nobody else, no other characters in the story really like that is neither Thorin nor Bilbo. Um, uh, nor potentially even the master of Lake Town uh, know really anything about him that he is an unknown to everybody else. But we've seen him emerge from obscurity. First of all, I think that's going to take a lot of screen time. I mean, seriously, how many scenes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many barge solo scenes are we going to get? Uh, you know, in this film, and and I, so I, I just I I I think that that could definitely work, and it could be interesting. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, no, no, I agree. Uh, I think they I think it, it, it's more efficient, but, but not only more efficient, I think it's going to be it's because, again, I think of the build up to the moment of conflict. Uh, and I, I mean, watch, watch, they're going to totally change this. You know, so much of my thoughts about Thorin and Bilbo, about <laughs> Thranduil and Thorin, about Bard and all of these things are all to the build up of that conflict at the gate of the Lonely Mountain, you know, and the whole the whole descending of rat scene and everything. And watch are gonna totally not even do that. They wouldn't um, even have it. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm totally I'm absolutely assuming that that's going to not only occur, but be you know, like one like the one of the climactic scenes in the entire film three. Oh, they gotta um, have it. It's good theater. Well, you, you know, think, now, now we just got to hope Thrandall shows up in a headdress like the guy in Rankin Bass did. Oh well, that's a little too hard to <laughs> imagine. I, 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 I that would be too good to be true. I mean, that would be like expecting Elrond to walk around with a halo of stars uh, around his head, um, as he does in the Rankin Bass film. But anyway, um, uh, um. I guess it would also be like trying to ask Thranduil to show up and speak in a German accent as he does. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, um, so yeah. Anyway, as but as I was saying, I, blithely carrying on, assuming as I have been that uh, that confrontation at the gates of the Lily Mountain is indeed going to be both present and significant uh, in film three. Um, then I would think that going either either of the first two options that you outlined there, Dave, you know, either the, you know, so you have turned against us, Bard, or the, um, you know, ah, yes, like this is just what we expected from you, Bard, you loser. Um, either one of those, I think, could work and be interesting. Um, uh, okay. I think I have my riddle answer. How about you guys? Oh man, this is a tough one. I, um, I'm kind of on the fence. I, I I think I think that in Lake Town, I think he's going to support them, either openly or not, or or both. You know, that's another issue. It could it could start out openly, and then if he gets his hand slapped, you know, he if could it's end both, up. Both it counts hurting. as open. It counts as open. 
Because you can't okay. be both open and secret. Like, okay. if you support okay. somebody openly, then you've supported them openly. You know, oh, okay. If you support right. them secretly right. also, you've still it's supported them openly. Been... Okay, so. so, okay. All right, so, so. But, Once you're out and of the then closet, I can you're see... out of the closet. So, you know, there that, you that's go. the story. And then I could see the war happening because Thorin just turns into a butthead in, in movie three. And then mm-hmm. Bard is reluctantly, you know, having to go to war with him because he's turned into such a jerk. Um so I think, because I think the the enemy in in the second movie, as far as Lake Town is concerned, is going to be the master, and I think Bard's going to be in opposition to the master, and I think the master's not going to like the dwarves, which puts Bard on the side of the dwarves. Now, openly or secretly, that's where I'm hung up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anybody, Dave, you, you got Dave? thoughts? Um, I'm going with. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to go with. Uh, I think uh, C. I think he's supporting them, but secretly. I, I don't think I, – I just – from his clothes and everything, I don't think his position is one of of giving them open support or, or that if he did, it would help them in some sense. Right. I, I really – I just – like looking at him, I just – I really think they're going to take the bard as kind of the loner outcast guy and that he's going to kind of rise from, from, from that to, to, uh, to, to fame by killing the dragon. Um, and so, so, so to me, it seems like he would be helping them secretly. Like, I like this idea of him, him finding the dwarves out there on the river and thinking like, Hey, this will really put, throw a wrench into the, uh, the, the master's plans. And, uh, so sneaking them into town, despite the fact that the master wouldn't want them there. And then, uh, and then sort of facilitating their quest up to the mountain, even though the master would, might oppose it. Um, uh, or, or at least sort of, basically I see him as kind of an opposition figure to the, to the master, but being on the outs in, from society in general, such that he would need to work secretly. Um, I, I like that idea. I, I, and I think, and I personally think that when, when he, when he ends up opposing the dwarves, it's not just because Thorin's a jerk. I think... I think he's going to be a jerk as well. I think what we're going to see, what what we're going to get is kind of a Game of Thrones scenario where there really isn't a good guy in any of this. The only good guy is Bilbo, and uh, and and he'll be and and he's lucky that he doesn't end up beheaded, because that's what happens <laughs> to good people. <laughs> Especially in Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yes. Uh, yes. Um... So okay. I, I kind of like the idea that he's he's sort of moving moving pieces behind the scenes. Um, largely to 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 just kind of manipulate the master and screw with him and then later um uh to to sort of um uh, help his bid to restore dale and and move to prominent prominence and then it won't be really until the end that he is revealed to be actually a much more heroic and virtuous character so i'm going with c trish what do you think no, you're. I was just gonna go, Corey. You go ahead. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, Dave. That's not bad. You know, you're you're kind of uh, you're kind of in the Olsen school there with the with the uh, influencing <laughs> thing. Uh, I, I think it is actually a good point. You know, that he doesn't look like he's not of the guard. He's he's not of the inner circle. Well, he certainly doesn't know, have doesn't, one of those hats. No, he doesn't have. Maybe one of those that's cool his hats. grievance all along. <laughs> he didn't get a hat. <laughs> He doesn't have one of those hats, and so that's why he's an outcast, because he's embittered about not getting to wear one of those awesome hats. You know, someday a, a, a Hobbit groupie is going to buy one of those suckers at auction for a bunch yeah. of money. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I think I'm going to go see as well because I think it's going to be. I think we're going to probably see more of the Robin Hood, you know, kind of thing going on here. So I think okay. it's going to be C. B. I'm going with B. Uh, and I'll tell you, D- Dave. I was thinking, um, like right before you started talking, mm-hmm. I was thinking exactly what you were thinking. I was thinking C all the way. And then after and you heard me espouse a- that idea, you're like, well, that can't be it. Exactly. Right. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And then I heard you describe it and I'm like, no, I got to say something else now. Um, <laughs> but, but no, no, it, it's not pure contrariness. Uh, as you were describing it, it's not that I, that, that was exactly what I had been thinking. And I was, I, I totally see the logic of that. But as you were, des- as you were describing it, this alternative version uh, sort of began to go like, how, could because you're right based upon his clothing and everything else he certainly doesn't he's not a he doesn't appear to be a member of the guard um, or at least not a very well dressed one and he doesn't um, so he seems to be an outsider okay but this doesn't mean that he doesn't support them openly remember one element from the his depiction in the book which we haven't talked about much is his role as kind of crazy prophet. Remember, he's always he's predicting floods and poison fish and stuff like that. Um, though his friends know his worth, right? So he's kind of right. Uh, he's dismissed as a crank by people, but he's a loud crank. He's people a loud are crank, used yeah. to his voice. Um, so it's true he does not seem to have a position. Um, and I certainly could see him acting also in secretive ways um, to undermine the leader and oppose him, but. I could also see Peter Jackson playing up the, yes, he's solitary, but he's a crank. I could see him speaking up in public and speaking up on behalf of the, if we get in Lake Town, what I suspect, as I said before, thinking about the whole culture and attitude of Lake Town, either they're going to be universally and almost universally enthusiastic, or they're going to be universally skeptical, except for Bard, or they're going to be, or maybe except for Bard, or they're going to be divided. And I was saying before, I think they're going to be divided. Um, if that's true, if they are divided between perhaps the mainstream people who think like the master does and are skeptical about uh, about uh, the dwarves and possibly even about the existence of the dragon, um, though that's a little bit harder come to think of it if it was only 60 years ago because there would be living people who remember it. Um, but anyway, never mind. Point is, if we if we get this division between uh, like worldly skeptical people uh, and people who do believe, uh, who believe the prophecies and who uh, are willing to believe that Thorin is the king, um, those people are going to need a spokesperson. They are going to need a representative who voices their opinion, and that. I think could be a role for Bard, even if he's an outsider, even if he is a Robin Hood-ish loner um, that nobody takes seriously, that actually could position him particularly well to be a spokesperson uh, for them. And so therefore, when um, I could see that kind of adding to the dynamics of the meeting later on at the Lonely Mountain, then we do get the betrayal, like, hey, you were the one who believed in us in the first place, you defended us, now you're here. Not only are you here against us, but now you're all, like, establishment, you know, you're 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 in, in uniform leading the army against us. Um, so... I, I could see this, uh, and, and again, this uh, the, as part of the development of his character uh, from 
uh, sort of outsider crank whom nobody takes seriously to now everybody taking him seriously there at the end. So I'm going with B. I'm going with B. Not because, again, not because he's going to be like a trusted counselor of the master, you know, who's going to be lobbying in official circles, but because I think he could still be that uh, gr grim-voiced and also slightly mystical. I mean, how does he predict pl floods and poison fish? You know, I mean, there's there's something there's something kind of mysterious. There's 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 a hint of magic uh, surrounding Bard and his uh, and his predictions. Um, so, um, so, yep, yeah, no, so I'm, 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 I'm going B. Alrighty then. I think that's a, that's interesting. That was, you know, that was, I was on the fence between those two too, because yeah, I mean, I was thinking, you know, like you were saying, I mean, he could be the speaker's corner on the soapbox crazy guy, you know, yep. uh, who's always, you know, yelling and telling people that they need to be aware and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, he, he, I mean, he doesn't have to be like going around Lake Town with a, you know, the end of the world is near placard, you know, I mean, he, <laughs> uh, he, he could be a little bit, but basically the guy who speaks his mind, you know, a guy well, who... Or the guy who's anti-establishment, you know, the, right. he's, he's the guy who's like, you know, against the the master and makes no bone, you know, makes it pretty right. apparent that he is. Right. So, yeah. Right. But outspokenly so, you know, not like right. the secretive right. Robin Hood, but the, right, but, right, right, right. you know, the outspoken, um, you know, thorn in the side of the master. Um, but also who has, you know, there's that element uh, from the book, which is interesting, which could be taken up interestingly. That is, a lot of people dismiss him, but you know, people who know him know his worth, you know, know, like that there are many who don't just dismiss him because many, some of the things that he has predicted have come true and others know his ability and his courage and his, you know, and, and his, his actual abilities. Um, and so therefore are more willing to listen, to listen to him that it's, that's, that's possible. That could work. Um, so. Okay. So B and C and C. B and C and C. Yep. 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 So, well, we did not end up talking much about the master. Um, no, we didn't. I wonder if that merits another epi a different episode, actually. Well, I don't know. I don't, th I kind of doubt it. My Let's thought is it may be, depending on what comes out, maybe later in the year, depending possibly. on what Jackson ends up releasing. Because, see, the yeah. thing is, I guess my thoughts about the master is. Of all of the, the master is the most fully developed character in Lake Town in Chapter Ten. Certainly, I mean he is. Um, we get so much more information about him than anyone else. I mean, I think, unlike Bard, we have a pretty clear template in mind of what the master is like. Um, and it sounds like, I mean, based on your description of that, uh, you know, I didn't authorize dwarves comment. It sounds like he's following the model. Basically, um, I mean, it's not that there can't be any variations, but but uh, but. Well, I the curiosity I have about the master is how Jackson's going to deal with his end. You yes. know, I mean, I mean, how yes. how's he going to resolve it? Because I just I don't necessarily I can't I have a hard time believing he's going to do the same thing he that happens no, in the book. No, I, I I do agree with so that. That's probably my big my big question that, mark. But that, that I, would that be movie three or would that I be would movie think two? So. Yeah, I would think movie so. Three, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, unless unless the end of the master comes in the fight with the dragon, which is conceivable, but then we lose the whole. Uh, 
yeah. you know, shore scene with Bard and the Master, um, and the Master's manipulation of the people to turn them against the dwarves and get them to march north. Um, so I and, and I, I would expect the Master to still be around for that. But Trish, I absolutely agree with you. I certainly do not see us hearing years later that the Master came to a bad end off in the wilderness somewhere. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I think the Master has to have closure within the film. Kind of like I, Saruman's, I, you know, Saruman's ending, you know, it had to be within the bounds of the movie as it was, you know, right. since there was not going to be any scouring in the Shire, we had to kill him off, so. Right, right. No, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I, I, that, and I, I think that's a season three question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, good. Excellent. Um, well, I All think right. we should probably let people go in slightly... Okay, I was going to say slightly under two hours. Not true. Two hours. Um, <laughs> but it's been two hours, so we should probably let people go. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for joining us. I see we have uh, accumulated now 27 people uh, for I our know. spontaneous uh, episode. Thanks for joining us, everybody. It's always That's uh, great. It's always delightful to uh, hear your uh, your thoughts and comments. I've noticed that... Many of you, um, many of you, uh, that is only a, a, a comparatively small number of you have been contributing um, uh, in our through our interface here. So I just wanted to uh, sort of explain that to make sure those of you who are new um, know how to uh, to do this. There's a box that says questions. If you enter a comment or question in the questions box, uh, all three of us can see it uh, and can respond to you. So that's how we can, you know, if you have observations you want to make or you want to cast your vote. And did any of you vote? None of you voted. Come on, people, come in. I don't in. think anybody's voted. Vote. Everybody's um, being, yeah. Uh, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> Um, okay, Yana says C. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so anyway, I just wanted I just wanted to invite you to make sure that those the people who have contributed in during today's sessions are have been by and large the veterans, both the Riddles in the Dark veterans and the Mythgard veterans, who do this all the time. So um, I just wanted to make sure to extend the invitation to uh, uh, to people who uh, are are new here. But anyway, so thanks to everybody who is uh, who is here today for joining us. And uh, we look forward, we'll be moving towards the Lonely Mountain next time, I believe. So uh, that is yeah. uh, that is very exciting. I'm looking forward to our conversations with Smaug episode, though I think that's still at least one episode away. Um, at least. Yeah, I kind of, I'm, 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 I'm nervous. I want to I wanna wait and see if we get any kind of information. They, 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 they attempted to fool us last week and they showed us what was well, actually, I was fooled initially. I was like, "Oh my God, that's what the smog!" They they showed us showed us a glimpse of a thing that looked like a Jurassic Park T Rex and said, "Hey, here's smog!" And I actually fell for it. Uh, as Trish reminded me, like, there's no way it's gonna look like that. It's obviously a joke, and they wouldn't show us show it to us, show him to us right now. So um, right. But uh, but yeah, I'm still wondering. I, I'm 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 really nervous about doing a dragon episode too early, only to have details leaked late. So uh, you know, like right. the next week. So I'm kind of I want to hold out a little bit longer. But we can't. Obviously, we can't hold out forever. Trish and I have a um, have accumulated a nice list of uh, of of future riddles um, and topics. So like one we really want to do that. You know, we got into it a little bit, but actually we really didn't do it today. So I think we can still do this one. We would no, like to do a. Uh, we'd like to do a geopolitics of the northern world episode, 
Yeah. We talk about the yes. the interrelations between Mirkwood, Dale, Lake Town, and the Lonely Mountain, and sort of the multiracial um, relationships there. Um, we want to do a uh, we want to do a bromance episode for Bilbo and uh, Thorin. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's still more to talk about there. Yep, I agree. We would like to do a uh, we would like to do a another Bilbo in the Ring episode. We'd like to talk a little bit more about um, the get more into the the whether they'll delve into the Ring. Um, and in particular, one of the questions we're interested in is how will Bilbo reveal the ring to his companions? Um, obviously, we can do like the low hanging fruit or something related to the opening moment of the film, something related to the closing moments of the film. Uh, I think I think those are worthwhile questions. Mm-hmm. Um, one topic that I'm super excited about is uh, revenge. We'd like to talk about mm-hmm. the uh, House of Durin versus Azog Bolg, um, uh, gr- you know, ongoing grudge match, and how that might be developed, and whether 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 Bolg's just been discarded, or whether Bolg might make an appearance, um, and maybe Azog will die or something. And then uh, we we think there's a we need to do a Nazgul episode. Too. Yes, definitely, yep. definitely. So we got cool. we got some good things on the uh, on the slate, folks. Yeah, so this is this is the stuff that lies ahead here. So, mm-hmm. uh, so very good, excellent. Well, again, thanks for joining us, everybody. We look forward to uh, lots more conversation to come, and uh, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and Godspeed.